Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That time of the week again, the Rugby League rant, fifth and last. Put on your headgear, chuck in your mouth guard and get ready for an hour of nothing but NRL tour. And round one of the NRL competition is in the books and we are back. Brock to talk about it and all the action over the weekend, the referees, the results, suspensions, injuries, and all the drama. Rugby League is well and truly back now. Yeah, it was a good round. Positive start to the year. I really enjoyed it, so uh, let's chat about it. 100%. And we kick things off, if anyone doesn't know, with our set of six to start things off. Six thoughts, questions, or opinions, statements, anything we have coming out of the weekend's football and one of the first things I've got to talk about, unfortunately, is injuries in round one and how they can affect a season. And there was a couple of big ones over the weekend. Tom Eisenhuth, probably the weirdest one of all at Melbourne. It's been six years or seven years between his debut with the Penrith Panthers and then playing for the Storm. He fractured his larynx at the end of the game, his throat. So he's going to be out indefinitely. That's a very, very dangerous injury to have. Ash Taylor didn't play. He's going to be out again this weekend for the Titans and then Tyron Roberts. What, what was wrong with Ash Taylor? Quadriceps strain, and he's out again this week. Quad strain doing what? No idea. Where? When? And Tyron Roberts, Achilles strain in the game. He's now out, so both his starting halves are gone. Good start. Nathan Brown, torn pec for Parramatta. He's looking at eight weeks without surgery, 10 to 14 with. Daniel Safidi, leg injury in the offseason. Got another one on the weekend, looking at two to four weeks. Tyson Frizzell, the most painful of all. Straighten the Jats crackers, mm. a ruptured testicle, which can be anywhere from four to six weeks. But Kurt Catewell for the Sharks last year came back after a week, which is absolute insanity. Yeah, but you're in the finals, different. Will Smith, broken arm, eight weeks. Uh, and I'm sure there's plenty of others. I think uh, Lattimore was reported to have a medial injury. So, yeah, a bit of a chaotic round one, as always seems to be the case in rugby league. But, yeah, yeah not, not good for a couple of those teams, in particular the Titans and the Dragons, if they're missing a couple of forwards, seeing as they're already missing Jack DeBellin. So that certainly wouldn't help them to lose any depth in that situation. But tackle two in our set of six... The Panthers, Brock, the trial result, uh, you know, many didn't want to read too much into it. I know that was the day after all the video drama kind of broke. They got beat 20-0 by Parramatta. They face each other again in round one on the weekend. They go down 20-12. to Do you think the Panthers can right the ship and refocus? Did, from what you saw on the weekend, did it look like a team that still wasn't quite there mentally and has some issues going off the field, or were they just poor and Parramatta were outstanding? Parramatta weren't outstanding. Uh, Penrith were poor. I think... Mean, Gus nailed it last night. He called him unprofessional. Uh, didn't handle the conditions well, but it's one game. So I'm not going to go off about one game. Their trial form wasn't great. Ivan Cleary looked a little bit shocked in the performance. So that concerns me probably the most out of anything you've just outlined, the fact that the coach didn't see it coming. Um, but I, I don't know. It's, it's it's really hard to tell. Is, uh, is Penrith's form really bad or are Parramatta improved? It's, it's hard to line up in round one, but... And that conditions played a big part. 
I think Wonga Blake's brain explosion turned the momentum of that game. It was 14-12, and Wonga Blake gives away a penalty with the ball. Uh, sorry. Yeah, no, I, who had the footy then? Penrith didn't have the ball, sorry. But gave away a, just a crucial penalty, which led Parramatta down the field. Um, just a dumb play on, on Mitchell Moses. Uh, and Parramatta at the time, I think, had Michael Jennings in the sin bin. Penrith, they were in that game, you know, up to their ears. They they could have won it, and it's it's one they coughed up. But again, it's hard to line up what Parramatta are doing. There's there's a lot of pressure on at Parramatta as well. Like they've got young Reed Mahoney in, they've got Dylan Brown in, they both look good. But Brad Arthur's under huge pressure mm. to deliver. So they're a side that I'd expect to they're always going to start the year strong because if they didn't, Brad Arthur could find his way out the door. So is there pressure on Penrith to start as strong as Parramatta? No. Uh, but you know, they had a big crowd there. They would have liked to have won that game, but well, there are some concerning signs. I, I, think, I think Nathan Cleary and James Maloney, that combination didn't look outstanding. Um, again, it's round one, but they're the origin halves. They got totally outplayed by Mitchell Moses and Dylan Brown. So there there are some concerning signs there for the Panthers, but um, we'll see how they go. They've got Newcastle this week. They're going to be no pushover. They've got to travel up um, to the Hunter to, to play that game. So it doesn't get any easier, and that's what the NRL. The NRL is is not a sprint; it's it's a marathon, and you just got tough tests every week. Well, I think the main thing is there's not pressure as much internally as there would be at Parramatta with players coming off contract, players they try to get rid of, the coach, the whole situation there. I think Penrith's pressure is externally because of what happened with the coach, all those rumblings in the offices, and what's happened with the club. There's a lot of expectation from fans and other people outside looking at Penrith this roster and it finally being time to deliver. So I think that's where the pressure's coming from. But conditions, as you said, in a lot of these games is, I think, one thing I found hard to take into account for a lot of teams and the way they're going to play this year or how they're going to go. Well, I I had the Titans 13-plus in that game at Canberra. Far from 13-plus. Well, it was, but they lost their halves. But also, um, it was pouring down rain. If that's a dry track, the Raiders probably win by 40. So yeah, I think the well, scoreline flattered the Titans in that game. It definitely did, that's for sure. Tackle three in our set of six for me. Jason Tamalo and Michael Morgan, the new generation of the Cowboys. I was impressed. It was a bit clunky to start with. I thought their forward pack looked really, really good. But as far as the spine gelling and that new look outside backs, uh, they had a lot of opportunities inside 20. They didn't look too crash hot. But when they got going again in the second half through their forward pack, the second phase, the quick play of the balls, Michael Morgan's kicking game, uh, I really like what I'm seeing. And again, had the opinion last year when Jonathan Thurston came back that he needed to hand over the reins. He said himself in his own words, that Morgan was going to take a back seat to him. It didn't end up mattering because Morgan obviously got injured, didn't finish out the year, and they would just look stale and an absolute shadow of themselves. But this team that I saw on the weekend, and there's plenty of room left for improvement, is the team that I was expecting to see last year. And with those two driving at the wheel, along with Maguire coming on board, Nene McDonald helping out in their yardage, which is something they definitely lacked last year, I think uh, there's definitely room for improvement and good signs. A few things have got to iron out because they're still working out positions. And, uh, the, you know, I think Maguire's eventually going to work his way into the starting 13. So there's a few little bits and pieces that are going to work out there, but they look really, really good. Again, they're at home. Uh, they wanted to start the year well after their poor showing last year. I thought Michael Morgan was outstanding. Jason Taumalolo, 301 running metres. Like, that's ridiculous. The numbers he pumps out are ridiculous. So they've probably got two of, you know, you could argue t- the the best five players in the game. I'd probably argue that they're two of the top 10 players in the game and they're in a really, really good position moving forward considering they've just lost someone who is going to be an immortal. So they're in a, they're in a great 
great spot and it's a credit to their administration in their rugby league department because they've managed the, the salary cap really well there. They were really quick to move Ben Barber on. Um, I think they're, they're a really, really well-administrated uh, club at the moment, the Cowboys. And one thing I've got to touch on, I know a lot of us said that the back line is something that concerns us, but no offence to their teams in the past. They didn't really have an outstanding back line no. when they won the comps anyway. Like, Lynette was solid. Winnerstein was solid. O'Neill had his one little purple patch where he played for Australia, etc. But honestly, when did they really, really have a great back line during that period of time? They've kind of got a similar look again, solid. I think the two big things that stand out for me is Nene's yardage work again on the weekend was huge, and Kyle Felt is another player who's strong in that area. So once he comes he, back, he, well, that's another one. He's they're going to be back. better in that regard. And as long as O'Neill and Opacek defend well, I don't think they're too worried. Imagine about Imagine if they manage to keep Callum Ponga. Well, that's still the one thing that out that's the one just that lies wrong. there that we look at. But Jesus, imagine if like they wouldn't have even felt Thurston leaving. Well, you'd have Morgan in the halves right now controlling things. Ponga at the back. Uh, they had a few hookers over the years that we spoke about you've off the top Clifford, of my head. You've got There's Tamara a few that Martin, missed out on. So. You've got Granville. You've got really, really strong props. You've got Tal Malolo, good back rowers, a good bench, it's very good handy. coach. Very handy. A bit of a graveyard in terms of a home field. They're, they're in a great spot, the Cowboys. Tackle four, one that you wanted to bring up was the referees. Yeah, yeah. I thought um, the referee, the performance of the referees was fantastic over the weekend. I love the fact that they were... I think willing to let the game flow. They were talking to the players a lot more in, you know, in that you're offside or stay out of it or, you know, warning them on the run to try and allow the game to flow. Last year, and I know I mentioned it on the podcast, I think it was in our season preview that there was about 53 minutes of ball in play last year because of all those stoppages and sim binnings and things like that, uh, that those numbers have increased by up to four and five minutes just in that round, in round one. So, uh, look, there were some games where there were blowout penalty counts, but that's on the players. Oh, I think the, the referee showed a real mindset to try and let the game flow and blow and interfere in the game and blow as minimal penalties as possible. There'll be a lot of people out there that'll say, yeah, well, how long is that going to last? And, you know, wait until the coaches sort of have their impact on it. And that's no doubt going to happen. But I was just, I really enjoyed the quality of the football over the weekend. I, I thought there was fatigue in the game. Uh, and it was just, I thought it was a, overall a better product. And as a coach and a fan, like I just want to watch good football, I thought as a coach uh, it it was made to be difficult, you could see tactics I think interchanges were more important you're going to see less reliance on uh, you know, slowing the play down and, and giving away penalties and, and things like that, just in the pure attrition, if the game's quick you're not going to get a lot of messages out there, if there's not a lot of stoppages, runners, runners can't get out there as much, I think it's just all positive well, I, that's the one part I really enjoyed, and I think one of the games that really showed it was the first game on Thursday That, that night. game was as fast, fast as any game as I've seen in a long time. And again, Melbourne... Compare that to the grand final last year. Oh, it was way quicker than the grand final And I final think, again, like Melbourne have a big forward pack, and they dominated and they rolled, but you know those guys were still under fatigue, even though Brisbane, you know, kind of on the back foot, they really absorbed really well. They kind of hung in, even though they were getting beaten up a little bit and pushed in yardage and not having as much football... Like Matt Gillette made 58 tackles for mm. Christ's sake and just kept on going, but it brought in exactly what you just said. That last tackle try that we saw by Jesse Bromwich is a fatigue try. Yeah. That's been able to play eyes up, timbing it back into a ruck and playing what you're seeing. It's not looking for kicks. It's not structured football. Good eyes up football because of fatigue. And I think the, the main thing is just the yo-yoing, the cycle in that game, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards like it. It wasn't as structured. There wasn't as much wrestle. I heard people still whinging about, like, give yourself a triple. That That's football. That's yeah, that's first-grade football. That is a chess match. That is fighting back and forth and just looking for any opportunity. Yeah, um, that was a great game. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the season opener. The weather affected a couple of the games, but at the end of the day, you can't help that. And 
the penalty counts come down to the players. Like in the Manly game and the Tigers one, there were some obvious penalties there. There was a couple other games where I'm not surprised the penalty counts blew out because players did have some moments. And I just agree with what Graham Annesley said when he took over the job. The number one thing is these refs have been overcoached. We've taken that out of there. No two games are the same. No two teams are the same. No style of game is ever going to be the same. Referee to the situation, stay out of the way and only interject where you feel you need to be. Same as the penalty trial that was brought up on Friday night. People were controversial about it. Well, I'll tell you why it's not controversial. People still couldn't agree on it. Some thought it was a penalty try. Some thought it wasn't a penalty try. For me, I would have preferred the sin bin. I didn't think he was guaranteed to score, but you thought the opposite. This is what I'm getting at. So you can't claim it to be a howler. There's always going to be 50-50s in the game, and the referees, if they do make a howler, and Graham Annesley said they will own it. But But in that situation... You should never never get a choice between the infringement and a sin binning. No, I know that, but what I'm saying is... If you can't agree But you either think it's a penalty try or you don't. Forget about the sin binning. But my my whole view on it is that he denied him a chance of scoring a try. Whether whether he would have scored or not, that shouldn't matter in the fact that... It, well, I, I understand you need to have a fair certainty that he would have scored, but the infringement is on the defending side. They've taken that opportunity away. They should gain no benefit out of that infringement. So for, my, for mine, I'd love to see all of those um, or similar incidents like that awarded penalty tries. Well, I just look at that one and more what I'm saying is it's not a howl. Like that, if that's what we're going to get every week, like a 50-50 that people can't agree on, I'm happy with that for my referees. It's basically what I'm getting at. Mm. That one created discussion, it's not a howler. Uh, the Michael Jennings send-off for that swinging arm, people had different claims on that. But again, I don't think people agreed on it. So to me, that's not a howl. There's always going to be 50-50s and questions in rugby league. Yeah. Nothing is black and white, unfortunately. There's always going to be grey. Yeah. So overall, I was happy with the way the refs went over the weekend. Uh, the other one to come out of the weekend, I guess, is the Bulldogs going over there to New Zealand. I know it's only round one, but ouch. Uh, a lot of people defended them, saying that they completed it 90%. They looked good when they had the football, and that's all well and good because inside 10 or 20, they didn't look too bad. The bigger issue is they were conceding 70 to 80 metres most sets, and they just couldn't defend. And I know that's against a very big and powerful side in the Warriors, but there is other quality oppositions that are going to do just as much damage. So if they don't fix their defence up, forget about completing it 90% what you can do inside 20 Mm. There's some serious concerns for the rest of the year. And I know it's only round one again, but for one of the only games that wasn't weather-affected, uh, I was very, very surprised to see them get blown out so bad yeah. after the effort that we saw last year with a lesser side and some lesser players coming in. And no offense again, I'm not claiming it after round one, but I said there was going to be pressure on these guys to deliver this year because whether they like it or not, there's not a free you know, slate here. There's not a clean, oh, we'll just have a crack, throw some players and see what happens. The year started again. They have hope in Lachlan Lewis. People were blowing up that Reese Martin didn't get to play a couple of these other guys, and reality kind of hit hard in round one. Mm. I also thought they walked into a buzzsaw. Uh, you know, the tragedy that happened in New Zealand the night before, uh, you know, the, the Kiwis uh, and the Warriors players were just emotionally charged, and they started that game on fire, and, and everything stuck for the Warriors. So, it's look, it's... It's a forgive for mine, you know. It's it's only round one, but Jesus, it didn't look good for the Bulldogs. Like, and look, I had I've got, I well, I had the Tigers finishing um, with a wooden spoon, but my my judgment on that wasn't that I think they're a worse side than the Bulldogs. I, I just think their roster depth um, is one of the worst in the competition. So, I you know I wasn't surprised to see the Tigers come out. I tip the Tigers at Leichhardt, but. For me, as the season goes on, if if the Tigers get hit with injuries, that was the only reason I sort of threw them in as as spooners. But the Bulldogs look like the absolute morals for the spoon in that game, and and I would one hundred percent. And the Titans would be in barrier too because they were disgusting. 
no argument there from me. Hopefully they can right the ship. But just, yeah, that effort and that intent that we saw at the back end of last year, I thought that lacked a little bit. They didn't get in front. They couldn't control things. Uh, it was just a little worrisome for me after oh, such I, a positive yeah, finish to the back end of last year. And with your what you said there, our thoughts and prayers go out to anybody who was affected, um, obviously, by that absolute tragedy that happened over in New Zealand uh, at the end of last week. It's... Uh, there's no real words to describe what 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 happened and what we saw, but uh, anyone that was directly affected, all the people over there, um, our thoughts and prayers here for you know that situation. It was yeah, it's terrible, just absolutely awful. But our last one here, and again, it's only one round in, and this is something we'll probably revisit six weeks, maybe halfway through the season, a couple of different spots after what you saw in round one. Out of the top eight that me and you both picked, is there, is there one team right now that you wish you could swap in and put another one? Not really. Swap in and swap out. No, no, not really. I I said there was those four teams that I wasn't sure of. That was the Dragons, the Cowboys, the Titans, and the Cowboys. I'm really happy that I left the Titans out from what I saw. And I know they didn't have their halves. Yeah, but I left the Titans out. I'm not worried about I left that. them out. But from what I saw from Newcastle and now looking at the situation of Penrith and whether this off-field saga is going to affect them any further or the Dragons now having potentially lost Frizzell, Lattimore, and DeBellin and looking at their draw coming up against Brisbane, the Roosters, South in the early rounds, if you said to me right now after week one, could you swap one out? It could potentially be one of those two teams for Newcastle. But again, after another week, I still don't have enough of an outlook, I guess, for those two. Yeah, one day sunshine doesn't make a summer. Yeah, um, I'm not going to count my chickens early, but if you said one team from outside that I watched on the weekend that I'd probably put in if I could, it would be Newcastle. But I'm not going to jump the game. Yeah, I I agree. They were the one that surprised me a little but. You know, are the Sharks going to be, you know, for me, it'd be the Sharks. The one the one that I looked at and thought, you know, I expected better was probably Cronulla. And the fact that Newcastle... Well, I thought they was absorbed. a home, home field. They, they did, but I thought they looked fairly rudderless in attack. Yeah, well, that's early, early days as well, though. You've lost homes. You've changed your whole spine around, basically. Like, there's Yeah, but there's I, new I mean, having... Um, having Moylan move to one and know that he doesn't want to play there worries me a little bit. I thought he played quite well. At the yeah, no, I, I did as well. He's, he's got some rocks and diamonds in him, but, you know, over a 25-round competition and, you know, if he gets frustrated, uh, if they, they get any injuries, we'll see what happens. But, no, I'm happy with I'm happy with uh, my top eight. All right. I'm just not happy with my wooden spoon. I I would change it to the Bulldogs. But, again, it's you, you we base our, uh, our predictions on what happens. So, you know... The Bulldogs could come out and win this weekend. The Tigers lose, and I'd want to go back and change it again. So, fair enough. It is what it is. Well, that's our set of six, and that was brought to you by the Penrith Solar Centre. Get behind our sponsors, support them. Rising power bills, nothing's going to change there since it's been privatised. The prices have increased by sixty percent. I work in the industry, Brock. You've got a system. Our old man's got one. I've got one. We've all got one. Like we said before, unfortunately, this is just a reality that's not going to go away. There's no one better to deal with then penrithsolar.com.au. So tackle your rising power bills head on this season with the help of Solar Energy. The team at Penrith Solar Centre are passionate about helping Western Sydney sin bin rising electricity bills for good. Find out how Penrith Solar Centre can make you and your family the big winners this season with quality solar solutions for your home. Visit their website, www.penrithsolar.com.au or give them a call on 1800 20 29 30 and have a chat to Jake and the crew there today. So. Absolutely, get on board. Good time. We're um we're hoping to get a private poker night organised as well this year for for the listeners. So 
that's going to be Bit of a um, charity event. Yeah, for the at, it'll be at Penrith Solar Centre. So Jake and the boys we're going to tee up some dates for that and uh, work out how we're going to give those away or whether we're going to auction seats off or what we're going to do. But that's something that we're looking at. And so, either that or it'll be a flat buy-in and we'll figure out a price. It'll be some drinks and poker and food and then we'll give all that money to charity as we do every year. And people know we have our charity account. This might be another different way that we, yeah, we can do find it. a way to raise some money and pass it on to a charity. Absolutely. So we'll see how that pans out. But Brock, we're going to get into your favourite part of the show. Uh, Reviews, yeah, mate. Let's go. Let's Yay. shorten these up, issue. Oh, you always say that, but you actually have to review the game. You can't just say the score and move on. Yeah, people it's want Tuesday, of... and people know who won. And I know, mate, the but they round. want a bit of analysis. They want to pick your yeah. brain. Right, yeah. You're the we'll expert, pick my brain. Let's expert go. coach here with analysis, and yeah, depth, right. and detail. This is what people listen for. Storm Broncos, twenty-two twelve. Uh, for me, in this one, very surprisingly, I, I was expecting it to be a, a little more even, but I felt like Melbourne controlled this game for almost the first 60 or so minutes. I thought they dominated the middle of the field. Set-ends were really, really good. I thought Cameron Munster, of all people, really, really surprised me. I expected Smith to take more control of the kicking game and that aspect, but I thought Munster, as the lead half and controlling things, was great, and he, it didn't take away from the attacking side of his game. And They made a real point, no surprise, of targeting and channeling down that edge at Anthony Milford and working him over and working over that edge of the field and they were lucky not to have more points like that Felice Cafusi drop and there was another couple there and um, I, I thought Melbourne were really really sharp and Jerome Hughes especially but a scary 10 minute period almost undid it all that intercept and a, a shift play there where Corey Oates got a double and Bromwich that offload all of a sudden they were back in the game but as you said the speed and tempo of that game the lack of penalties and the fatigue created that opportunity for Munster to just tip back inside to Bromwich who scored a nice try and made up for his mistake, and um, again, Melbourne just seemed to keep on rolling. They found a couple of contributors to their bench. Tui Kamika Maker come on, did a real solid job. Brandon Smith, the old honey badger, just getting in there, getting dirty, 150-plus metres for a bloke who plays hooker playing at lock, and um, big minutes out of their forward pack for Nuke and Jesse Bromwich. Nelson Asafa Solomona, who was great, and Felice Kafusi who poked his nose through a couple of times. It was very, very solid, and their, their round one winning record just continues. Yeah, what is it now? 17 out of 18, I think, on in round one. Something. And I agree. They, I thought Melbourne played a lot faster. Mm. The key to this was possession in the first 10 minutes. I think Melbourne had – I don't, I'm don't. i not sure whether Brisbane touched the ball or they might have had one set in the first eight minutes, which just kills you. Uh, and they just – they're relentless, Melbourne. When they get in that mood and they want to start strong, you know, they were landing on one edge and then coming back with a crack straight away. They weren't setting up many plays – uh, their attack looked really crisp. They were playing very direct. They were playing the ball really quick. And it just really got Brisbane on the back foot. I, I was super impressed. And I would have been wrapped if I was Anthony Seabold to go in it only down 10 at half time. Uh, and they had their chance. They had, a, they had a period there, Brisbane, where they, they jagged a couple of tries. And I think it got to 16-14 or 14-12 or, or something it was. Um, and, well, it was, it was two-point margin, whatever it was. And... Yeah, they look like they, they could do some damage, Brisbane, but Melbourne really, really settled in that period, and that's where that experience comes in. And, you know, I think I said in the preview that you know that Melbourne are going to be in those tight six-point games, but they just find a way to win those games. And you know that there's going to be five or six of those during a season that they're going to win. Um, and this is this is the difference between finishing the top four and sometimes missing the top eight. So uh, for me, I took a lot out, a lot of... Lot, Positive for Melbourne, a lot of positives for Melbourne. I, I thought they were super impressive. Still got some questions over the, the seven. The seven, he, he looked okay, but 
you know, he's gonna he's still gonna have to grow a leg because um, Cameron uh, Munster can't play like that every week. We can't rely on Cameron. There's Munster also Origin like too. So yeah, so that that's gonna affect them as well. But look, I um I lost absolutely no admiration for Brisbane. I thought Brisbane no. were super and they were tough. Um, did they execute well? Not really. Their kicking game was poor. I thought Melbourne also did a really good job kick pressure yeah. on Milford and Nickarima. But, but we said it last week. Possession and errors are going to decide a lot of these games. And Brisbane lost the possession count, lost the penalty count, lost the the error count. A lot of people are early to jump on the halves and the spine. I think if there's one thing that's still kind of glaring to me, and again, it's going to take you know probably four to six weeks for things to get into a flow, and especially with Milford missing the majority of the off-season after shoulder surgery, the question mark for me is still Darius Boyd at number one. He does a solid job, but nothing outstanding. I don't think he's really able to put his body on the line. I thought there was an opportunity for him to dig in and get Bromwich at that last play, and he didn't really commit to it, and he cleans up his kicks, and I thought Melbourne worked him over quite nicely as well. But there's still something there for me about him playing six and Milford playing one. Mm. I just think, again, in the front line, I don't trust him much more defensively, but I think Milford's just better when he's free and not playing in the halves. And looking at it again, uh, apparently Seabold wasn't as impressed in the offseason. And again, this is only uh, innuendo with O'Sullivan and a couple of these other options they've got at seven, as many other people thought, and still thinks that Nicarima and Milford are the way forward. But... There's just a spark there that's kind of lacking in one of those spots for me. And I know they didn't win the middle, and that makes a big difference for those halves when they can break free and play. But I don't know. It, it, whether it's Azarko that goes to one and Boyd plays centre, that's more is my the other idea. issue because you've got Jack Bird on big money who people criticise the other night. I thought his yardage work was quite solid. I thought Scott did a pretty good job on him. But the one for me, I think Katoni Staggs, like off that bench, the versatility they've got the option to have him there. He was great when he, he replaced James Roberts. So they lose nothing with him coming in there, but... It's just going to take time. People tag someone with a premiership label and all these hot kids and go, what, they've lost round one, like I'm straight off. It's not going to happen overnight. There's a completely huge contrast between Wayne Bennett, Anthony Seabold, what they were doing last year. Mm -hmm. Last year was Barry Basics, win the middle, defend well, halves play what you see. Now they've got structure for unstructure. Like it, it, it's a lot more complicated, a lot more layered. There's there's levels to what Anthony Seabold's bringing in. Once it clicks, I think it's going to suit their style of play. And he's got better all-round troops to suit the way he wants to play. But it's definitely not going to happen overnight. I think the biggest thing that's happened is, if anything, I think his back line and forward packs have improved. But he's definitely got a different spine to what he had at South Sydney. Mm. If you put the South Sydney spine in with the young forwards in the back line, he's got it uh, at Brisbane right now. I think it's, you know, from day one, just absolutely outstanding. But he's got to work a lot harder with his spine as compared to what he had with South Sydney in Cook, Walker, Reynolds, etc. But uh, Matt Gillette. Huge on return. I thought he was outstanding. 58 tackles. Corey Oates was obviously very, very damaging in a couple of those forwards. But, uh, yeah, round one down in Melbourne, what do you expect? It's, yeah. going, it's going to take Tough time. Tough place to go. It was a good game kick off, to kick off the season. Yep. Moving on from that one, Newcastle and the Sharks. Uh, looking at this one, this was a real grind. I enjoyed this game as well. Yep. It was back and forth. I thought there was plenty of attack, but just as good defense. If I looked at anything from the first half, I thought the Cronulla Sharks were under the pump. Constantly, and there was multiple blown opportunities. Edric Lee dropped one over the line, and Newcastle again with a new spine and different combinations. Not the best inside 20. I thought they had too many one outs and they kept setting up rather than taking more shots. And also the shapes that they probably would have seen against each other in that last trial. But um, the, the Sharks, to their credit, for the most part of that half, just kept fighting and fighting and holding on. But yeah, I think the biggest thing for me I took out of this game is the last couple of years, obviously during this transition period, is Newcastle have struggled to get upfield and roll. They've really struggled for meters. 
whether that be in their forward pack and yardage, and they've obviously struggled defensively, intent-wise, and a slower team down. They're two things that have definitely been addressed with the recruitment. They rolled a lot easier, and they defended much better. Yeah, they did. Absolutely. I um, I thought the interesting part here was that Newcastle, uh, sorry, Cronulla had a massive breeze advantage in the first half, and they it looked like the opposite. It looked like they were running into the breeze. Um, there was a kick there. I think Sean Johnson did a goal line dropout that went almost the length of the field. Um, so it's an interesting one. Um, but yeah, Newcastle, they had a lot of momentum. They were playing at home. I thought Cronulla were a little bit clunky in their execution. They had plenty of chances. But as you said, um, Edric Lee dropped one over the line in the first half. That should have been a try. So look, I think in the end, the the right team won this game. I think Newcastle deserved yeah. to win this game. Uh, it was ugly how it came about with the intercept because I think if uh, all things equal, a lot of the times that pass, Lee won't intercept that pass and Cronulla score in the corner. So it would have made for a, a grandstand finish but um, or a closer finish than what we saw. But you know, I, I honestly believe the, the right team won that game. Uh, Newcastle, I thought, just did things a little bit better. They, they probably had a little bit more polish than what Cronulla did. Um, but they've both got similar issues. They've got players in key positions moving around. So it's going to take time, but I, I didn't lose any um, admiration for either team. I, I probably grew uh, a little bit in my thoughts around Newcastle and where they can go this year, and yep. Cronulla were about where I thought they'd be. Yep. I, I thought they would have executed a little bit better, but apart from that, no, I you know they were about where I thought they, they'd be. They didn't help themselves, obviously, with errors in the first half and trying to get out of yardage, but their goal line defense is obviously still a strong point. Uh, Andrew Fafita in the minutes he played was absolutely incredible. In yeah. this game, he was outstanding. Matt Moylan threatened every time he touched the ball. But Sean Johnson, Townsend, um, again, why people thought Johnson had a quiet game. I thought they would just spend most of the time on the back foot or coming out of yardage. Well, they did. For it's hard for him to have a part of the game. Yeah. Newcastle, obviously, there's some things that need to be worked out. I thought Pierce was the dominant one there as far as controlling the ball, kicking game, and pushing around the field. People had mixed reviews on Ponga. I'm still of the opinion that I don't want him wasting energy defending. I want him at the back. I mm. think he's more dangerous at the back. Fitzgibbon was good. David Clemmer was exceptional in his first hit out. Ramey and a lot of their new players, Glasby, etc. The forward pack in general, Garvey. They finally have some intimidation, and I thought their bench when they rolled on Barnett, Guerra, etc. They all, those guys all did a real good job as well. And Edric Lee, I know he had a couple of blunders, but defensively, how aggressive and his decisions were outstanding. And at the end there, after giving away that penalty try, he had to come up with either the ball or the man. He got the ball and he sealed the game for him. So, mm-hmm. given all the extra attack they had, like you said, I think the right team won. But positives to take out for both sides and. On the shark side of things, I know they haven't got Wade Graham back yet. There's going to take time to adjust, uh, obviously, in the spine there. But I was impressed by a couple of their players as well, in particular Britton Nakora on debut in the back row. I think he's definitely done himself no harm in trying to hold on to that spot. Um, for feeder, as we spoke about, very, very good. Moylan, but um, you know, that, that's one that kind of got away from all the pressure they absorbed, and they'll look to bounce back this week when they play the Titans yep. without a pair of halves. So uh, that's a good way to start off at home after a tough loss, I guess. Mm. Moving on from that one, South and the Roosters. Uh, looking at this one, I thought South just had a bit more intent. They were a bit more aggressive and they played the conditions better. Yeah, the, I'd agree. The, I'd agree the Roosters that. on that side of things, though, I must say I'm not going to take away from because I thought their discipline was horrible, their ball control, they were very, very impatient. But I'll say this, they only got two real opportunities inside 20. They scored both times. Yeah. For South Sydney, I'm not taking away from the tries they did score, but four of the tries they scored were on last tackle. One was just a straight-up contest where Murray pulled the ball out of Tokyo's hands. Full credit to Murray. That's a great effort. 
two off the goalpost in a wet weather where they've got players in the right position at the right time and full credit to Adam Reynolds. And one was a kick in behind on the line where the players around the ruck pushed forward and Cook nudged in behind. But if I'm looking at that as a Roosters fan, I'm still not really disappointed because they didn't, I'm not saying they didn't break them down, but they didn't just score like an easy try or get mm. through them. like. And, and the Roosters still absorbed for a big part of that game considering the amount of pressure they put themselves under and the game still only finished 26-16. So. I'd agree. I just thought South played with a little bit more intent than what the 100%. Roosters did. There was a little bit more aggression. There was more of a point to prove from their perspective. And I think that was a difference in the game. The yeah. Roosters looked not, not relaxed, but... Their, their level of intent and intensity, I think, was just a slightly off where South was. Mm. And you can attribute that to a few things. The Roosters won the comp. South had a point to prove. South season was ended new last coach, year by, couple of changes. by the Roosters. Yeah, new coach, new changes, cricket ground. You know, rivalry. A few things, yeah. And I think the weather did play, play a role. Right? The Roosters don't like playing in the wet. They're an expansive team. They like to sort of move the ball around and play with a bit of razzle-dazzle and throw the ball to their centres early. And yeah, very impatient. Yeah, they... A bit more of the Roosters we saw impatient. last year. In Second sense. half, I, I think they they completed maybe three from ten yeah, at one at point. One point yeah. So it, it, to be within ten points in against quality opposition shows you how stacked that Roosters side is. But you know they've got a few little things they need to tidy up yeah. for this weekend. And there's game. no doubt they will, and they've got a quality lineup. And I think from a South perspective, uh, they run into Manly. Yeah, they might Manly might play them in the form. They'd be very happy. South, uh, the reshuffle of the centres, putting Gi out in Latrell's edge, and giving Braden Burns some good ball on that left hand side, which they seem to favour. He looked almost like a young Gi the way he played. The size he's put on and the intent he played with. We were wrapping Joey Manu in the way he was last year. That Braden Burns gave Manu an absolute bath. And yeah, well, I said that in the preview. I thought Braden Burns was going to have a big year. Cam Murray, uh, I already loved him coming off the bench and I had no doubt he'd be able to do that job starting at 13. But for a man of his size, that forward lean, the footwork, post-contact, all-round effort, he's tackling. Like he's just... Well, him and Radley are just the two new age 13s, aren't they? They're, they're bringing it back a little bit it, to the old, old way. Um, in that they've got a little bit of a pass in and they're a little bit smaller, a little bit more mobile. You know, there was years, you know, and it was only a couple of years ago where they're playing, some teams are just playing three front rowers. You even look at Newcastle, they played Tim Glasby at lock. Um, love... The Cowboys have played Tal Malolo at lock for a long time and he's he's got the body shape and, and runs for probably more metres than most front rowers. So it's interesting now how different teams are having different identities and I like it. And they're playing different players in different positions. I think... Hopefully we're moving away from that cookie cutter style of footy, which well, is good. I think we are saying that it needed to happen, but um, just yeah, probably a couple of years too late for my liking. But I'm th- glad we're there. I think all around impressive by South. That left edge still pretty much heavily favoured. I think you know not having Reynolds for the trials. You see the difference he makes, especially with that kicking game when he's in the side in those conditions. It just suited him to a T. And I absolutely love Cody Walker. That bloke plays above his weight. I know he gets involved in some niggle on that, but he's just yeah. Well, him and him and very fiery. Uh, Probably as dirty as each other and niggly as each other the other night. Yeah. Sam had a good game back out in the edge there and they did a good job in the middle. And the other one is Damien Cook. I thought Damien Cook, even in the wet, was very sharp. He got out, he probed. He looked to ball play a lot more than just run first. So if he's adding any more layers to his game, which obviously he still can, that's going to be a a very good sign for them this year. But Roosters, I guess, just one to flush. Um, Crichton coming off the bench instead of playing for Orbison. I don't know if that's because of off-season surgery or... What's going on there? I think Daniel Tupo, no offence, he's rocks and diamonds at times. If Ryan Hall gets back and healthy and he makes as many errors as what he did, he may find his position in question. But they obviously don't have him for a couple more weeks. But um, again, I'm just going to flush this one. I'm not really worried if I'm a rooster, that's for sure. It's round one. So impressive by South. 
uh, a little bit to work on there by the Roosters. And a signing to that again is five line breaks to two. So the Roosters still busted them open more times than South did to them. And the couple opportunities they got inside 20, they took. But uh, overall, move yeah. on from that one and see how things pan out as the year goes on. The next game doesn't need much excuse or much explanation. 40-6, to six, the Dogs over the Kiwis and New Zealand Warriors, sorry. The first 10 minutes, I thought they had some chances, the Dogs, off a couple of penalties and some errors by the Warriors, and they didn't look too bad again in their attacking shape. The issue is, if you can't stop a side rolling up and down the field, it doesn't matter what you can do in good ball. Yeah, and true. the Warriors back three, their set starts from Sheck, Marmolo, Fushi Tour were exceptional. The swap to put Tohu Harris on the left with Kieran, who's a natural ball runner, and take some pressure off him and just let Green run the side and put Carter back to his preferred side on the right with Fushi Tour. They just looked outstanding. Mm-hmm. And the forward pack just thrived all day. Bunty Afoa, Sam Lasano when he came off the bench, Jazz Tavago got the interchange player of the year last year. The amount of second phase, tackle breaks, offloads, there's not you can single out plenty of blokes, but overall they were great. They busted them up. They completely dominated all aspects of the game. Blake Green dictated, kicked very well, and probably didn't give enough of a rap to Adam Kieran in the preview to say the pedigree of this young man, White's taken a year or two to get to first grade. This is a former Australian schoolboy. Mm-hmm. This is not some chump. This is a kid that was considered the best in his age group at the time. He is a natural ball runner. In that side, it suits him to a T, and you saw his quality with the controlling half when he scored that try with some natural footwork. Just playing eyes up, and as a ball player, nine times out of ten, just playing short and playing second fiddle to a player like Greeny, who may wear the six, but let's be honest, he's a seven. Mm-hmm. He's an old school seven. Dictate, game manage, kick and control the side. So, I, again, I don't want to knock anyone out there, but anyone that said that the Warriors are going to get the wooden spoon, like they've got way too much quality on their side. They're not affected by origin. I think you'd be insane to ever say that. So, again, I know it's only round one. They play the Bulldogs, but there's no way for me the Warriors ever get in the spoon. And if things go right and it all clicks, who's to say they don't make the finals again? Who knows? Oh, yeah. I've... But, I, again, I'm just more going off consistency. But if you want to talk about pure talent on that side, and I know they've lost Johnson, that that back five, and in particular the back three, and still having Harris and a couple of those guys in the forward pack, if they do what they did on the weekend and they bust sides up early on and bank their opportunities, they're always going to be hard to stop. And the fact that they play half their games in New Zealand is also another big plus side, much like teams that have to travel to North Queensland. Absolutely. The the Bulldogs were blown off the park. Uh, I don't know what more to say. The, the momentum for the majority of this game was with the Warriors. They looked, it was boys versus men. I think the scoreline in the end probably flatters the Bulldogs a little bit. Um, yeah, the dry track. I thought Adam Kieran came in and did a sensational job. That was a one real question. Uh, Isaac Luke wasn't there. No, Roach Sean, was good. He, no, he was. That's what I'm saying. I, like, they didn't really notice... Um, you know, the absence of Sean Johnson or Isaac Luke. Well, I think this the is... opposition they played, Yeah, I don't think you're going to be, you know, they're definitely not a top eight side. They're a bottom four side, the Bulldogs. But um, they're going to get a grittier test this week against the Tigers, who are going to show a lot more resilience. They've where is a... that game? Is that in New Zealand? That's in Campbelltown, but it's a grittier okay. forward pack. They're coached by Maguire. Uh, you've got Madalino, Packer, a couple of guys in there that are going to give a lot more back. And they built their game a lot more off defence last year with Cleary and, again, knowing what Maguire's brought to that side, I think they're going to get a sterner test this week. Mm-hmm. On the Bulldog side of things, you know, I, I just thought in general, if you're going to play off the back foot, obviously you're going to struggle. Defensively, they've got some things to definitely work on, but even in attack, uh, I didn't think they kicked quite well. I thought they just hung the bomb up and hoped for the best, and if you're just going to kick down the throat of that back three, uh, this, the hard part is playing the Warriors. Who do you kick to? There's not, there's not one bloke you can target there and say we're going to put him in a corner or try and turn around. If anything, you either want to put the ball out of play 
get him on a set start or you need to get it in behind and get a good kick chase. And yeah. all day they just put the sand wedge up and gave it one of those three and they just kicked off their set starts so well. And then the forwards are back a player or two early and just rolling again. So, um, yeah, it's hard to take a lot out of that for the Bulldogs other than defensively they need to get much better. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, moving on from that one, Tigers Manly. 20 to 6, and again, another game affected by the weather. The first half, I thought the Tigers let a lot of points go, to be honest. They had more opportunities inside 20, 60, 40 possession. Every time they seemed to have got themselves down in there, they kind of forgot that it was wet weather and they pushed a pass or ran someone in the line and tried to play short under pressure. And Manly, uh, they got a couple opportunities, but every time they got down there, similar deal, gave the ball away. Their biggest issue, though, was just discipline. They piggybacked the Tigers out of trouble and kept letting them come down to their other end. The kicking games was the one thing that I thought was piles apart. I think the dropout count by the end of the game in the conditions was like 7-1. Benji Marshall particularly had a great game as far as kicking and controlling and turning around and Manly, uh, Cherry Evans and having a partner. You know, LG's a good option there. they got Hogginson, but at the end of the day, I I still think if you're getting a million dollars, you need to do a better job in daily Cherry Evans and and take control of that side and that forward pack again, uh, Adam Fenua Blake had a big day, but he had a couple of incidents and he's now going to be suspended for this week. Tapau was pretty well controlled considering the wet and they did a real good job. Under Maguire, as we said, it brings a hard edge to get stuck into that forward pack. But uh, overall for Manly, it was just more where are the points coming from. Any opportunities they got, they didn't really look that sharp. The back five, um, you know, was a, a bit of a mess and put together. Elliot went clean through, just completely ignored Brad Parker in one of the only opportunities they got. In many of the other situations, they either made an error or the Tigers turned them away. And if anything, I think Maguire would be disappointed the way they conceded that last try, which was a nice try for Manly, but right on the buzzer. So for the Tigers, yeah, second half in particular, they just played better the conditions again. Quick play the balls, lots of one-outs and scoots. They just kept digging in behind the ruck. Even Benji getting in there taking scoots. Isar Masters was exceptional. Uh, Jennings, all that back five. Garner, Madison working hard there. That forward pack are just... I thought it was a real group effort and the polish added by, obviously, Robbie Farrer and Benji Marshall, who just played a lot better in the conditions. Yeah, I thought first half was ugly. Uh, it was both sides feeling each other out, trying to adapt to the conditions. It, the, it was torrential there, the rain in the first half. Second half, I think the Tigers had the best adaptation at half time. Michael McGuire straightened them right up, uh, started to play through Manly, turned the ball inside, tipped the ball on, run nice and hard, run some unders lines. Um, they, I, I thought they kicked really, really well. Yeah, kicking was and, um Yeah, Manly just had no answer. Manly made more errors. Manly put more pressure on themselves. Manly, uh, in a lot of ways, I thought defended really, really well, probably in the first half. But second half, when the Tigers were more direct, I think they really struggled to handle what the Tigers were throwing at them. Possession told as well, though, didn't it? It did. Because it, both halves Again, we said that last week. Have a look at possession and errors, and it's going to be a telling factor in every game. And it's going to be for this first month. So Manly would have known that, and Des is huge on that. But uh, they they looked a little bit disjointed, Manly, but I expected that heading into the season. You know, Des has only been back there for, you know, you'd say, probably 12 weeks. He's had control of this program, and, you know, there's going to be some, some areas that are going to have to change, and he's trying to um, implement. So, yeah, look, the result surprised me in that the Tigers were able to score that many points in such dreadful conditions. And the only try that Manly manufactured was at the last the last play of the game. So that concerns me a little. And as you said, you'd expect better from um, DCE, but I think the conditions hampered what Manly were trying to do. But they knew that there was a potential for rain all week, 
Um, they knew what the conditions were on game day, so they had to adjust accordingly, and I don't think they did. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I think for Manly, again, the big thing was depth at the start of the year and where the points were coming from. So heading to this week to lose Tapia, oh, sorry, Adam Fanua-Blake is obviously a negative. He racked up Massive result. 200 metres and three or four offloads, but ill-discipline just yeah, cost him. So that's... straight away this week, their, their depth's getting tested and they already have pressure in their back line. So um, do they change the halves? I don't know. The team list has been announced. We'll obviously talk about it later when we do our tips, but you just don't need changes or anyone gets suspended this early on. Sure For the Tigers, massive confidence booster, I think. They dug in, they grinded against a much bigger side. Um, you know, They defended very, very well for the whole game, got themselves to the back end, and they'll play a big warrior side this weekend again. Another test against a big forward pack, hopefully on a dry track in front of their home fans, and a good start for Michael Maguire mm-hmm. after a short turnaround and taking over the situation there. Cowboys-Dragons, 24-12, the Cowboys up there. This was a back-and-forth game. This cycled quite well. I thought the Dragons held their own in the forward pack, and if anything, for a while there, that they looked to have the better of things and were controlling. But once the script flipped and North Queensland had control, I think the biggest issue for them, again, is forward pack back, Morgan back in the halves, new combination to build again there with him and Martin, a completely new back five. Inside 20 with the, the tackles they had and the extra opportunities, it just didn't seem fluent yet. There wasn't a lot of trust. They don't quite know what they're getting at and what they're looking to do. And uh, they obviously blew a couple of opportunities and it was a little bit messy and the Dragons defended quite well, I thought. But later on in the half, they finally kind of broke them down. I thought the Dragons fatigued, keeping having to tackle. And the second phase, it was coming from McLean and Tamalala and Asiata off the bench. He He's back to being that weapon he was with that forward pack rolling where he can play as a ball playing forward and Granville probing out of dummy half. But um, they got a couple of late tries there. Obviously, didn't kick their goals and went in 8-6. And uh, I, I thought it was a fairly fairly open game, open for both sides. But the second half, and in general, I think sometimes in the first half, the only disappointment for me with the Dragons is set finishes. Mm. I thought Norman kicked okay for the game. But between him, Hunt, and Widop, there was too many seven-tackle sets. And with that forward pack, that's really, really going to hurt you eventually. And... Once Frizzell had his incident with their unfortunate testicle injury early in the half and they just ground them out with all those extra offloads and that heavy track in the wet and wore them down, I just thought the Dragons ran out of, ran out of puff. Tamalolo was just ridiculous. It's a run for 300-plus metres. The couple of line breaks he made, shifting from the edge in the middle and just getting at the halves and smaller players. Maguire bullying people off the back of him. His second phase, McLean flourished off the back of it. Matt Scott, regardless of age and injuries, thumping it off the back of that. Like, it was just a relentless attack. And then with the kicking game of Morgan, the yardage work of Nanny McDonald and them just working as a whole, I, I just thought it was a real nice build over the game and wearing the Dragons down to get the five tries they got. Absolutely, yeah. The first half, was I thought, was quite tight. Again, a little bit clunky, but second half, the Cowboys looked by far and away the better team. Uh, I thought they their style changed a little bit. I... You know, they weren't really relying on one player, which I think allowed Morgan to have a, a bigger impact. Uh, I just think holistically across the field, they looked a lot more settled. Uh, they look like they, they all know their role um, and that they're all working together and just seemed to function a lot smoother. They, they just look smooth. It's probably the word that I, I, I describe the Cowboys. Even when they had bench players come on, you know, they, they always looked as though they, they knew what they were doing, they knew what they were trying to execute. Um, I thought even they, they defended really well. So for a round one team, and, you know, they've had they've had a lot of issues in North Queensland with the floods and they haven't been able to get onto the field a lot. Um, so for them to come out and perform like that, I think is a, is a credit to the coaching staff because they've had a difficult pre-season. 
um, with access to fields. They've had to do a lot of training indoors, um, apparently. So, yeah, credit to the Cowboys. From the Dragons' perspective, I, you know, I'll stick to what I said in the preseason. I just don't think Widock's going to work at one. I don't think he's a one. I think he doesn't return the ball. Playing Dufty at fourteen doesn't work for me. I, I didn't like I him last year. They did with me, and I just think it's pointless. So they pick an extra forward. I don't know. I, I'm not sure how it works. Well, the question is, and we've had a couple of fans, I think in particular one, Paul Agiris, who's a aggravated Dragons fan and frustrated the situation as is many. How do you fit them all in? They've bought But Norman that's the problem. And you should planning... have let Widop go. If Widop wants to go, let him go. Yeah, I, mean, I yeah. said this at the end of last year. Well, you're planning for next year and you've got a quality player, but if his head's not in it and he's playing in a position where... But you again... can't play Dufty. Play Dufty on a wing or play Dufty if you... Well, I don't think you can play in the centres. Play him on a wing if you're going to play him. Otherwise, he can't be your 14. But is his yardage carry going to be as effective as the I don't know, but what I'm saying is you've either got to play him in your 13 or you've got to get rid of him. You can't be half pregnant like they're trying to be at the the moment. The issue, again, is it's almost been written off as it's all okay now. Because No, but I mean, internally, they're treating it, it seems, that way because they got Norman in. They've pushed it up to the back and he used to play there. And Dufty was looking like he was on the outer, but now they've given him a decent two-year extension and said that's your job next year. It's so ridiculous. it's kind of like they've just kind of played it off and thought, we'll just work our way through it. But yeah, good. At some point you're going to waste season, the season. Yeah, at some point in this season, it's going to bite them on the arse or it's going to be too late to save it. Mm. Uh, Norman and Hunt, I think, can work things out as a halves pairing, and that's your future moving forward. But as you're saying, Widop at the back brings a kicking game and a better ball-playing option. But my big issue is when he caught a lot of his kicks on return, he's not bringing it back with as much vigor. He's not as dynamic. He's not as fast. He'd be better off playing Norman. He, he's a six. He's not a fullback. He can do the job at fullback, and he offers a lot, but he doesn't offer the kick returns or the dynamic attacking threat that I think they get out of Dufty. Yeah. Uh, he's better off playing there. And like you said, if you are going to do it, I would prefer Norman back there because at least he's going to he's kick return a, ball, a bit better and he's going to dig in. Um, the only issue there is obviously you're neglecting the halves combo, which they're looking forward to next year. But this is the situation they put themselves in when they bought Norman, yeah. when they put Winnock back there and then signed Dufty and just thought, everyone happy? Everyone's been paid? Sweet, we'll just let it go. Yep. The bigger issue, I think, for me moving forward is if Frizzell is out for four to six weeks, if Lattimore does have this medial, uh, I thought Vaughn, Graham and Sims, all these guys dug in as much as they could on the weekend, but they're still thin now in the forwards. Absolutely. Their bench was an issue last year. I think Corbin's still suspended for another week, but if you lose two forwards on top of already not having DeBellin, you've got to replace Frizzell, DeBellin, and now your bench. Mm-hmm. So Josh Kerr played okay in the Indigenous All-Stars game. He left Melbourne a couple of years ago. They've been waiting for him to come out of the ground. That's taken a lot of time. He probably gets an opportunity to play as a tight this week. Host, he was solid without being outstanding, but he gave up a couple of tackles on his inside shoulder. Can he hold that back row spot? I thought Blake Laurie was solid off the bench. He's got to start this week, but can he contribute for a lot more minutes? That, that's the real question right now is forward depth. There's mm-hmm. a lot more pressure now on Graham. Vaughan and Tarek Sims with no Frizzell, no DeBella now, possibly Lattimore, who at least gives them a solid 20 minutes off the bench. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the other question is with all those guys on the side, is there too many cooks in the kitchen with ball playing and kicking and who's run the shop? I thought Ben Hunt kind of got lost in that game. Saw him a little bit earlier, and I thought later in the game he kind of wasn't as noticeable. Um, but as far as giving a little bit of credit there for them, I thought Jordan Pereira was just relentless with his yardage work, and I can see why they re-signed him. Got a late... Try there as a bit of a reward. I thought Ravalawa in his first game, a few too many errors, but he busted 10 tackles, made 180 metres, so he was pretty solid. Um, Vaughan was relentless and Tarek Sims all day, whacking blokes, putting the effort in, but the spine, uh, something that's got to be sorted out and just forwards. Cowboys, I think it's pretty obvious. Tamalolo, Morgan, Asiata's impact, Nene and Yardage, McLean working off the back of that, Maguire, their, their whole forward pack and their side was just, yeah, good in yep. general. Panthers para. Uh, I just thought plain and simple, again, 
Eels played the conditions better. I thought they had more energy. I thought they had more intent. I saw a bit more of the gritty, tougher, niggling side that's willing to dig in and get into the arm wrestle that we saw the year previous. Obviously, there's plenty of pressure for contracts, the coach, the club. Um, but overall, just they just played better. They had more intent. Penrith's errors in particular from their back five killed them all day. Mansour made multiple errors coming out of yardage. Wonga Blake made four. Dallin had a poor drop off a of dropout and won another one. Dylan Edwards dropped one. Like they just shot themselves in the foot. I really thought they did. Hooker's still a question. I thought Egan did a solid job without being outstanding. And again, that wet weather doesn't work and playing off the back foot. But yeah, it just, they just really, really struggled and they took a lot of petrol out of the tank and it was hard to kind of get back into it later on. James Maloney, um, again, missed tackles, penalties. I, I thought he kind of looked disinterested, in all honesty. I don't think his head is quite there. And there's been a lot of murmurs that we heard at the back end of last year and obviously during the preseason about him wanting to go to England and them keen to move into England. And we heard six months into his contract last year that he wasn't going to see out three years potentially of the deal. There was a story that came out today saying, I definitely will see out the deal. We generally know how that works. Generally, anytime someone comes out and says something's going to happen, you get the opposite. Yep. So whether that means he finishes this year and they move on to Luai or who possibly would have been made before his incident, what happens there, who knows? But we know they've got massive lap wraps on Luai. They obviously locked him up long-term. Um, where there's smoke, there's fire. But yeah, I thought... Full stop. The errors don't help. They put themselves under way too much pressure. They struggled with petrol. They couldn't get out of yardage. And Parramatta all around were better. Their their yardage was better with Sevo and Ferguson. Murata near core on the edge gave Cleary an absolute headache all day. Just pummeled him. Marara and a couple of those guys changing their roles in the forward pack did a good job. And Marnie at nine looked dynamic. Moses' kicking game was quite solid. Brown didn't overplay his hand. They just were better full stop. Absolutely, they played the the conditions better. They played with more enthusiasm. I thought they played with more patience. Again, you know, we said it about the Roosters South game. I thought Parramatta played with more of a point to prove yep. in round one, um, and that would be very, very disappointing for Ivan because it's a home game. It's against a rival. Um, it was on his return. Penrith had obviously had some off field dramas. They wanted to really come out. They'd been lapped by Parramatta in the trial. So look, it's. For me, that's just a, it's a really, really disappointing result for the Panthers. But, you know, they've got to dust themselves off. They've got to go up and play Newcastle now. Uh, I think for the Panthers, they need to cut out those really, really simple errors. They, they had a lot of really simple errors, particularly in the first half that placed them under a lot of pressure. They've got to defend their line better. For me, they've got to have more defensive resilience, particularly if they're going to be high in their error count. You've got to defend your trial line a lot better. Uh, but for Parramatta, they've got the Bulldogs this week. That's a game that you'd circle and say they should win. Uh, you know, if they really, really want to get themselves into a top, a top eight conversation. So for me, I want to just push the pause button on both sides. I want to see Parramatta repeat that type of performance and get a victory over the Bulldogs if I'm to believe that they're going to be any sort of threat this year. And for Penrith, they've, they've got to improve because it's going to be tough going up to Newcastle this week and they're going to give them all they can handle the night. So, you know, the Panthers, you wouldn't want to be 0-2 no. with the, you know, the off-season they've had you know, the high expectations that everyone has of them running into the season. So, yeah, there could be some pressure mounting at the foot of the mountains. Mm. Well, for Parramatta, again, uh, I thought Ferguson in his first game, right and Corey were great. Uh, I thought overall, just as a whole, they were very, very good. Marnie at nine was good. Moses kicked well, didn't overplay his hand, and Dylan Brown, solid on debut there. So mm-hmm. some good contributors for Penrith. I thought there was only really one or two guys I could give a rap to. James Tarmow. Made almost 50 tackles and carried strong. I thought he did a pretty good job. And again, it's a big year for him. He's been there for a couple of years now. Been 
mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Paid pretty big money, so he needs to deliver. And the other one I thought was James Fisher-Harris. He, he tried really hard, similar deal. High tackle count, lots of work, but overall there wasn't a lot offered in attack. Their back five killed him as far as the errors they made. And, um, yeah, they're going to have to turn things around this week big time. Yeah. Last game of the round, this one doesn't need a whole lot of time, 21-0. The Raiders over the Titans up there in an absolute torrential conditions. And another one of these games where the Raiders just played things better. Thought the Titans obviously not having Taylor hurt to start with and then losing Roberts early in. My bigger issue with Roberts is I thought he hurt himself in that scuffle that he shouldn't have gotten involved with. So, you know, that, that really, really hurt a lot. Brimson's off shoulder surgery in the offseason, so he's had limited time with the group. So it was a lot of pressure on him. Luckily, they had a player in Peachy who they recruited to shuffle in and bring Copley on. But... Um, yeah, I thought the biggest frustration for me was their forward pack. The discipline, they, they lost control. Boyd lost his head, a couple of errors against his old team, wanted to prove a point. I thought Jared Wallace completely lost his mind at the back end of the game. Ryan James, at times, as we said, great player, but he can lose his mind. He was penalised four times, a couple of errors. So, um, the Raiders were the opposite of what we usually see. They were the more controlled team. They defended very well. This new lightweight pack worked out great. John Bateman was just relentless all day, carrying up the middle. thought Josh Papali did a good job. Soliola off the bench and with this lightweight pack they gave limited time to the other guys that they had there mm-hmm. so they, they maximised their minutes and they had spare interchanges and with the changes they did make Harvili comes on and makes a difference I thought Corey Horsberg despite a couple of drops the old red sauce he came on made an impact in the game and uh, yardage they're always strong I know they're missing Rapana but Leilua Nick Kotrick in particular and Bailey Simonson certainly uh, he didn't disappoint anyone on debut Hodgson being the orchestrator from dummy half what else would you expect Caesar, I thought, was a little quiet for the conditions, but you wouldn't want him to overplay his hand. And Jack Whiten defended very, very well and just ran at six. Uh, positive signs, but again, they played the Titans. It was wet weather. It is round one. Real gauge this week because they play Melbourne at home. Yeah, and so, the Titans lost their halves later. I'm not going to make excuses for them. I'm, I'm as hard as uh, on them as anyone, but losing your halves, you lost Tyron Roberts in the first 10 minutes. We lost Ash Taylor. You know, it was only Brad Fittler said it on the on the Sunday morning, and I'd heard nothing about an injury to Ash nah, Taylor. So it must have happened late, late in the week. So um, that's the only excuse I have for the Titans. I thought the Titans look just poor. I thought they, thought they looked poorly coached, poorly organised. They had bad enthusiasm. They didn't look fit. They didn't defend well. Um, I, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, look, the conditions were difficult. I thought Canberra looked okay. I thought Canberra defended really well. Like what I wanted to see out of Canberra post last year in terms of their defence and their resilience, and uh, I thought they did a really, really good job in terms of managing the the lack of size that they had. Um, so, and that's I saw everything out of Canberra that I really wanted to see. All the questions that I had of them leading into the season, they answered a lot of those. The Titans were diabolical. I I, I couldn't have had more confidence in the Titans beating Canberra than what I did last week, and I got it totally wrong. And uh, the the Titans were diabolical. That that to me, with the off season, 
the pressure that's on that club now, like they're, they're in a battle to survive. If they keep dishing up mediocre, mediocre performances like this and they're irrelevant, they're going to get no one to their games and they're just going to be a, an absolute burden to the NRL. Mm. And they're a burden to my eyes at the moment. They, they're, that was as frustrating a game to watch as I've ever seen. You know, you wait five months and you think, what have they been doing at training? And they dish yeah, that up. Dish it, that was, up. it was horrendous. Yeah. Well, for the Raiders, I guess, like you said, um, in the previews, it's, it's a team that wouldn't surprise me if it did make the eight, but you just don't trust them. Oh, well, I've had them in there the last two years and they're burning. They did let you down. But if it, honestly, no origin players bar Papali, internationals for New Zealand and England in their forward pack. Depth was the question. The back line, can they survive until Rapana gets back? And what do you get out of the halves? Mm-hmm. If you get what you got on the weekend and that better effort defensively and a little more resilience with basically zero to little origin effect, they're another team that has a home ground and a place where you don't want to go to play where they could eke out the results to sneak in there. And I still don't think they'd be a threat for the title this year, in all honesty, yeah. but um, there was a lot more positive sides and resilience, which is something we've lacked from Canberra in the last couple of years. This time last year, they led 18-0. They blew it. Mm-hmm. They've completely flipped their forward pack. They focused on defense in the offseason, and we saw some benefits the other night. Will we see it for the next 23 rounds that they're going to play in or 23 games over 25 weeks? I don't know, but they get a real test this week against the Melbourne Storm. There you go. Game reviews wrapped up. Fan questions or power rankings? You reckon leave power rankings for a few weeks so we can get a bit of a, yeah, a, a gist? Weeks. I yeah. thought it's pointless to do it now because you're just going to pick the eight teams that have won basically and put them in order. So mm-hmm. I reckon give about a month before we start to get some serious power rankings and what we think of the teams. But fan questions, jumping straight on those on Twitter. Point Dexter, fans put way too much stock into the one, uh, one performance of their team. How many consistent games would you need to see to make a comfortable call on a top or bottom side? A month. Well, similar again. I think a month to six weeks, you don't really start to see uh, you know, patterns, trends, and how things are going. So wouldn't panic too much. But uh, yeah, one week is not enough to gauge things. Duffel coat supreme on a scale of one to fucked. How fucked are the dogs? Mm. Well, again, we know they've got salary cap restraints. They did some reshuffling in the offseason to get some money off their books, and they basically admitted it's going to take a couple of years before they can open up and start buying again. So I just hope to see a little more effort. And they've got some solid young players in their squad, but yeah, they're a bottom four side in my mind, which is why I had them 15th. And I think it's going to be a long year. Yeah. The Buckster, when it comes to coaching, what do you place more emphasis on? Would you rather your players run hard and tackle hard or have good game managers and tactics? I know it's a mix of both, but which do you feel is more important for a successful team? Well, you can't question effort and intent. So if you're going to give me one or the other, I'd take hard workers who have good technique, good core skill, good running, running hard tackling. I'd just basically the game before I took a game manager. Because if we can't tackle, if we can't defend, if we're not going to put the effort in, you can have all the smarts and intelligence, intelligence and structure in the world, but yeah, that's my opinion. Yeah, I think Brock would probably agree, agree. there. Like, you can't win a game of football if you can't turn people away or dent someone. But in, intent and effort is a non-negotiable. You have to have that before you can add anything else. You got to have your, you got to have your foundation, and before you can sort of do that, you'd, you'd like to have a mix of both. Yeah, 100%. But if you're going to take one or the other to start off with, you can't go anywhere without effort effort and intent. You have yeah. to have those before you can. Across the board, you need it from all your players. You can't have you can't have your halves and your outside backs saying to your middle, well, you guys do all the effort stuff yeah. and we'll, we'll watch you and then we'll, we'll polish it. Polish. It's got to be everyone's as, as accountable as each other across the board in, in whatever jersey they wear on game day. I'll give this one to you, Boxhead. Darren Cord. I know it was his first NRL game, but what are your thoughts on Dylan Brown? No, I thought he was good. Really, really good, but I'm not going to fall in love with him no, um, it's one in game. one game. But 
I think, no, he's an 18-year-old kid. I've seen him come through the grades. We've, we've talked about him a couple of years ago. He won an SG ball comp, moved straight to the 20s and was in the grand final, went on a run as a 17-year-old. Yeah, look, he he looks the goods. What concerns me a little bit is the instability at Parramatta. Um, mm. I, would, I would really – I'd hate to see Brad Arthur moved on and have another coach come in and just creating instability for the kid. I, for me – I really, really hope that Brad Arthur proves himself the coach at Parramatta because I believe he is. I believe he's doing a lot of good things um, at, at Parramatta. But the pressure's on there. So for, for another coach to come in, that worries me a little bit. Uh, I thought Mitch and Moses really, really stepped up and took a lot of pressure off Brown, which enabled him to you know, do his thing. When there's a game and they come up against that tougher opposition where he has to create a play. They don't have ruck speed. They're not on top like they were for the majority of the game on Sunday. That's when you're going to see those little elements of his game where he's going to be challenged. You know, can he control a game? Can he create plays when he doesn't have ruck speed? Can he, you know, play square and cop a shot at the line and play nice and short and, and be a first grader? So, look, he's not going to have all those strings to his bow. And, look, when I think the cards are falling in his favour, he's going to look really, really good. But... You know, I think there's going to be some tough games for Dylan Brown this year. As we saw with Nathan Cleary, everyone fell in love really quick, quickly with Nathan Cleary. But, you know, he's now three years into his tenure. And I, I thought on the weekend he looked a little bit out of sorts behind a pack that yeah. has struggled. You know, and this is, a, this is a guy that's played 20s and, you know, a guy I've had a lot to do with played as origin. a coach. Yeah, sorry, played origin was what I meant to say, not 20s. Um, so it's it's just one of those things. Halves playing half in the NRL is such a such a difficult difficult um, position, and especially with how effective and well coached a lot of defences are now. Um, so the, the biggest the biggest and best thing for Dylan Brown for me holistically moving forward and looking at his career is the fact that it looks as though the game's going to go to faster, less emphasis on wrestle. I think it's been probably the this last ten years has been the most difficult time to be a half in the NRL because of how much wrestling and how slow the play of the balls have been and how stop-start the game has been and how overstructured coaches have been. It's been very difficult. So long story short, really, really like what I saw from him and really interested to see how he progresses. But, you know, there's going to be challenges for Dylan because Parramatta's forward pack, uh, while good on the weekend, I've still got some question marks over whether they can really compete with those better forward packs in the court. Well, I'll put mine down pretty simple to sum it up. This is an 18-year-old kid turning 19 who's already made his way to first grade. Yes, they did let Corey Norman go, but he didn't get here by mistake. He mm. jumped from an 18s comp at the age 17 to the 20s and played in a grand final. He's the second fittest guy at the club. He trained so hard he passed out in the preseason. He ran down Bevan French. He's the quickest player in the club. He's a great ball runner. He's got a lot to learn, and there is pressure on him. But number one thing for him, run first and play short if you're going to ball play. And I think he's got both of those things and he's willing to put his body in front. So uh, I really like the kid. James Hughes, what would your dragon spine look like? Well, what we just talked about, I think if Widop's not playing at six now and they're trying to get Dufty somewhere else but the bench spot and Norman not at fullback, I'm just looking at it from Brock's perspective. If Widop's gone, if he's disinterested, if he's trying to move on, I think you stick with the halves you've got now and move it up on and just put Dufty at the back and play with what you've actually got for your future. Yeah. Um, because while I like Widop, I think he's best position six. I think at one, he hurts them. You know my opinion on that. So I think that's where we are right now. Robert Caduro says, do you have any regrets about your predicted ladder after just round one? Well, I, as we mentioned, there's one or two teams you looked at after round one, but it is just that. It's round one. So Yeah, just for me, Tigers to get the spoon. But yeah. that's that was on depth. They're not in the eight, though. Looking at their, the football on the weekend... Um, 
the Bulldogs were the worst football team. I'm yeah. just I'm talking about roster depth and if injuries hit. Last year, I really liked Manly for the spoon. Years before that, I really liked Newcastle for the spoon. This year, I didn't like anyone for the spoon. I just oh. went I went on roster depth. I liked para. Now, Billy. looking at football after round one, I really liked the dogs for the spoon, but that could change this weekend. Well, it's only round one. Yeah, and I liked para for the same reason you said. I thought they were good on the weekend, but outside of that, what have they got to reach for? If they get a couple injuries, I don't know where they go. And same for the Bulldogs, which is why I had them 16th and 15th. So... Mm. Um, yeah, as far as the other concern, uh, Newcastle are probably the only one I'm really looking at right now, and maybe the Raiders, but they played in the wet against the Titans, so it's too early. Give me four to six weeks, and that's something we'll probably revisit. Yeah. Uh, Stefan Edge, thoughts on the sin-bidding of Michael Jennings? I, we kind of covered that before. I, I don't know. What did you reckon? I think if you take a player out, and you've said this before, you should be off the field as long as he is. Yeah, that's what I think. So, yeah. and, and, you know, if he doesn't pass his HIA, potentially, like, you're not sent off, but you can't come back on and they have to put another player in your position. I, I don't know. There's no real good way around it. But I definitely think it was a bit of a swinging arm. I don't think he had, like, intent to KO him. He kind of slipped into it, but it was a loose arm. He got yeah. him in the chin. Um, at, at the bare minimum, I didn't have a problem with the 10 minutes. No, I agree. Um, you know, they, they took someone out of the game at a critical time. So I, I can't really argue with it. Key81 says, do you think the commentators should keep quiet during a bunker review on the telly as to not influence the viewer's decision? Well, I think you kind of form your own opinion, to be honest. I don't always agree with what mm. the commentators are saying on the TV. I think I'm the more... bu- the, They don't influence the bunker, do they? The bunker doesn't hear them. I don't think they do. The I... bunker doesn't hear the commentary. No, no way in the world. No, I think he's saying for the viewer, influence sorry. the viewer's decision. So to me... Do you think I'll... commentators... Sorry, no... It doesn't influence my decision when I'm watching the game. I've got my own opinion, to be honest. But Most of the time I go, shut up. Yeah, I just want them to yeah. be quiet because they usually do what we're doing. They argue over what they think. Yeah, and so. I, want to, I want to hear what the bunker... Yeah, okay. So if, if you're asking the question from a, from the perspective that, that I want to be able to hear what the bunker is saying, I totally agree. Um, but in terms of the commentators giving their opinion, that's what they're paid to do. But yes, I would like... I, I don't like it when they talk over the bunker because I want to know exactly what the process is, what they're looking at, what they're trying to tick off, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, from that perspective, I'd like them to be quiet um, and then talk around uh, while, you know, I guess when there's gaps in what the bunker is saying and what they're doing. Yeah, Joel Williams is asking how much we can read into the Warriors win. Well, I think, again, we've addressed that. It's, it's round one. They played the Bulldogs, so let's not get too excited, but they're outstanding in yardage. They've got enough quality there to keep winning games, and they're basically unaffected by origin. So let's see how things pan out. Daniel Friend, how can McGregor justify playing a genuine fullback on the bench? They've got too many cooks in the kitchen. We don't really need to talk about that, but I think that statement basically sums up what I said before, bro. Mm-hmm. It's a possible situation. As we said in our season previews, where they could be a top four side if everything clicked, but at the same time, yeah, could be they could completely side. miss the finals and capitulate if well, they, the ga- they don't the, sort the gaps this out. were the, the nine and the one for me. They were the, sorry, not the, the nine and the I six. Thought. Were the two for me, like Luke being out and then having to replace Johnson. But Adam Kieran did a fantastic job. We're talking about the Dragons, dude. Sorry, Dragons. I thought you said the Warriors. But no, we're talking about the Dragons. Dragons. We moved sorry. off. That's why I'm looking at you again. What are you talking about Johnson oh, and Luke for? Sorry. I thought McInnes was fine. I thought Hunt. Oh, so we're talking about the Dragons spine. Yeah. Sorry. Too many. Co- how does McGregor justify playing a fullback? You can't. And they've got too you many can't. I said that kitchen. before. Move on. I'm sick of it. You can't play Dufty there. You're half pregnant. Either you pick him as your one or you fuck him off. Yeah. Jackson Mason, uh, Maslin brings up the wildcard system. I could see it working with expansion. 10 teams out of the 16 doesn't work for me, but maybe 10 out of the 18. Plain and simple. I know everyone has the argument, this there, that more footy, making it last longer. Every competition around the world, and I think Paul Kent said this yesterday, 
gets to a point where there's teams out of contention by the back end of the year and viewership drops off and attendance drops off. That's just natural attrition. My big thing for this is plain and simple, and I'll stick with the one verdict and the one verdict only. We already reward 50% of the competition with a spot in the finals, and a lot of the times teams that get seven in and eight don't deserve still at seven and eight. You know, sometimes we get a team that comes in red hot has had injuries and issues, and Cowboys, I can appreciate that. Yeah. But not very often that happens. There's generally always four or five teams we look at and go, they can win, and there's a couple that we already have a pen through. I can't reward two more teams. Last year, who would it have been? The Tigers, who lost like four of their last five or something yeah, like I, that. I don't like looking at last year. And the Raiders, who finished 10th for like the last four or five yeah, years. So. It's, it's irrelevant to look at last year's. For me, it's just looking at should a team that finishes 7th have the same no, advantage six. as someone who finishes 10th? And 6th shouldn't have the same advantage as 1st by getting a week off, in my opinion. How does that reward the top four or the top two by everyone getting a rest? Yeah, That's no, ridiculous. I agree with that. So, I agree. simple for me, 8 is already enough. Half the and also, for me, if I'm a coach of one of those top six teams, there, there'll be times there where I'll love the week off, but there'll be other times there where I'll hate the week off. Yeah. It gets rid of your momentum and... You know, I heard Graham Annesley say that it's it, he thinks that that week off for those top six sides will ensure that they they're all injury free and you know gives them a week to freshen up. But you know, the AFL have done that. They've they've now got a week between, or sorry, a, a week's like break. It. I don't like it. A lot of people like in the AFL it's don't momentum. like it. So yeah, I, I haven't heard a lot of positive commentary around it in the AFL. But in terms of the wildcard stuff, look, I don't know. I'd like to see us change our final system. I don't, I'm not sure how. I have no problem with the way it is. I, I, don't I like know. the way we change the for me. Setup. For me, I want expansion more than I want to change a final series. And I think naturally, if you have expansion and you know we have more financially viable clubs, we're going to be able to expand the final series. So for me, it's you sort of can't have one without the other. But I agree, you can't can't have ten out of sixteen teams make the no, final. It's ridiculous. Uh, ben Kirkham said, "How rubbish for the rift, despite the coaching changes, player turnover still picked up right where they left off. Poor first half, slow starts. In fact, I think they've gone backwards." Also, a lot of uncharacteristic discipline, ill discipline throughout the match. Still keeping in mind, it's all round one. But they were awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can't disagree. But again, uh, I, I don't know how much is it off the field or pre-season. Or is, the, is there heads elsewhere? Like we said, we've heard rumours about the Maloney thing. Is there too much pressure externally and they're all feeling it? Is, is it there more videos to come as has been rumoured? Like, who knows? I, I don't know what to make of it. But again, I'm not going to panic after one week. Uh, they had their chances despite all that happened in that game, and I'm going to wait at least a month before we read too much into it, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Robert Temesvray, I know you'll probably cover it, but I'm happy with the Michael Jennings Sinbin. Yeah, mate. We are too. Yeah, we agree with that one, so uh, no disagreement there. Amity Sharma, love your work, boys. In your season preview, you said Melbourne was amongst the Tier 2 teams this year. Do you still stand by that after one round? Well, again, I think depth, it is round one, how they get to the origin period. Are they going to have any injuries? We've already seen one of their bench forwards, Tom Eisner, who only got about five minutes the other night, fractures larynx. So rugby league can change in one week. So this week they get Pat Kafusi. If they get another injury, who's coming in? I don't know. Um, but it was but you more. You could say that about every team injury. I get that, but it was more a sign of the depth. Like if Addo Carr, Munster, Felice Kafusi, a couple of these guys going to play Origin, or they get one or two key injuries, they don't have a lot of depth to reach for this year, unfortunately. So I w- on their best day, Melbourne is still a tier one side. But we've still got a question over the number seven. Is Jerome Hughes going to be that consistent every week at fullback? For the first time in the history of Melbourne Storm, we're not looking at a perfectly settled spine. We still no. have question marks, and we need more than one game to be set on that. So I think that's the big thing. Mike Winkley, what should the Bronx fans be most concerned about after that Storm game in terms of defensive effort and just how bad were the dogs? Very happy from a Warriors fan. Well, I think we've covered that enough, but from a defensive effort, would you be concerned about the Broncos? Uh, no. No. 
Or do you think it was more, you know, like we said, possession, errors being kept on the back foot with their middles and just, you know, round one, trying to work through some things, new combinations, changing. Like they changed their forward pack in particular. They had new edges. Jaden Sewell was back from ankle surgery. Alex Glenn, who predominantly played off the bench last year, came in. Mm -hmm. The halves, Gillette playing in the middle. The edges were different with Jack Bird now being back on the side. So I think, again, there's new voices, new bodies around one another, and they've got changes again this week. Mm. So that always doesn't help when you've got change in your defensive line. But overall, for their possession and being on the back foot, I thought they weren't too bad no, I overall. So I wouldn't panic too much there, mate. John Stewart, the apparent return of the shoulder charge. I only watched the Raiders game and heaps of great shoulders, but are going to be consistent because last year, these shots got you a couple of weeks holiday. Well, again, I think uh, that was another reason why when the Billy Slater thing happened and everyone blew up, I think I could go through a game most weeks mm-hmm. and find what you'd class as a shoulder charge that doesn't get reviewed or doesn't get charged. So um, it was ruled out for a reason. There's been a couple of absolute tragedies, but this thing seems to be they kind of turn a blind eye to it unless something goes wrong or it has major implications to the competition. So um, I'm not too sure about that, but I don't know. What do you reckon? Do you think similar? Yeah, I'd sit with you. David Hooper, pick of the rookies for week one. Dylan Brown. I thought he played well, 100%. Oh, Bailey Simonson was pretty good in his first game for the Canberra Raiders. He's a finger. Um, I thought Bateman was good if you call him a David. If you call him a, a yeah. rookie, yeah. I thought uh, the other one was, I said, Britton Nicora. A couple offloads, 150-plus metres. I thought he was pretty good in his yeah. game there. And off the top of my head, we're probably missing a couple more, but there was a lot of footy on the weekend, so that's just a bit of a stab in the dark. Denny Fisher said, thoughts on the lower penalty count, but also slower play the ball. Seems like the crackdown from last year is forgotten, but the lasting effect is decent play the ball technique, not speed. Well, they should have to play the ball properly anyway. So play the ball properly, full stop. Forget about game speed. If, if you play it properly, and if you can't play it properly, you can't just roll it and play touch footy. No, that's so right. So I don't have a problem with it. I thought games, again, no two games are the same. I thought the Storm game, people complained about tempo. I thought it was fast. I thought the penalty I count thought the was low, game was lightning. and I thought it was back and forth. There was other games where it was uglier because teams like the Sharks pushed the envelope, or the Roosters were happy to give away penalties inside twenty. I think they're things again. Why we talk about the five minute sin bin coming in? If you want to get rid of people probably giving away penalties inside, and again talking about slow play levels, four of the games were heavily weather affected, so you have to be more patient or a bit more cautious in the play level. Overall, though, I, I, I thought the play level and the game speed was pretty good over the weekend. So, yeah. yeah. Jay Smith, after a round, did you rethink your initial top eight for the year and maybe for the Knights? Well, again, said that possibly, but again, give us a month on that one. Adam Ingere, thoughts on the bench and the South game and the Roosters and the thoughts on the Trolls, little cheap shots on AJ on the two instances. He's a good player. He's too good a player to do that. Agree, but he's young, he's aggressive. Yeah. He's still, you know, biting. It's, you know, a, it's a rivalry like, game. Yeah. They got stuck into each other. Um, there's plenty of niggle. There's plenty of feel to that one. I guess the other thing is, again, a lot of those guys are mates mm-hmm. and cross-town rivals as much as they are, and they've played footy against one another. I like a bit of, like, not dirt, but I like a bit of banner and a bit of feeling in a game. But, yeah. again, how old's Latrell now? 21? 22? He's barely a year or two removed from being eligible to play in the 20s, and he's already played Origin. So, clearly, there's some still maturity there. But I don't want that natural aggression to go. It's just about channeling, I guess, that aggression in your game and using it effectively. Matt Ballantyne, can Parra win without Nathan Brown? Well, they won without him on the weekend, really. Mm. He was effective in his first 25-30 before he tore that peck, but you know there was still plenty of time left to go in that game. It's never easy to replace someone who plays big minutes, gets plenty of matches and comes up with all those offloads. But um, yeah, I, I can't really say, you know, after one week and them winning still with him being off the field 50 minutes that... 
it's going to kill them, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Certainly hurts. It's not. It's going to hurt them. Yeah. But- Others are going to step up around. Yeah, a bit of a reshuffle. You've got to think Mo's going to be injured for a little bit. He's still going to come back, so he'll work into that forward pack somehow. Junior Paulo didn't play. So there's other pieces of the puzzle there that will boost up their overall forward pack, I think. So a uh, big loss, but yeah. Sean Field, what do you think of Canberra's performance and about Bateman? Well, again, played the conditions better, and Bateman I thought was great. Played yeah, the full was. game. Good leg speed, 150 or so metres, couple of tackle breaks, and he is as advertised. He's a hard bastard that started at Bradford. He's dynamic. Center, back row, lock. He's a bit like Whitehead. He's an all-round footballer who can play in multiple positions and has good skill set. So handy buy, perfect for Canberra. If you're going to go anywhere in Australia, if you're a Pommy, Canberra's a pretty good place to land if you're used to what you're used to in England. Yeah. And if anything, they probably think it's warmer down there. It's uh, very, very different to playing over in England. Jordan Palmer says crowd sizes were pretty piss-weak even with the weather. On that one, I think we go to what we always say. Crowds have been down regardless of what seems to be good weather, bad weather. I think the TV ratings is where it's all at these days. And again, how can you make fans want to go to the game? And at times, it's still not enough for me to want to go to the game. So, um, With you. Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to have a solid answer about that one. Omar Haydar brings up the Dragons issue, as everyone else. I think we've covered that one, champion. Luke Smith, hey, boys. Surprised or impressed? Who surprised or impressed you the most after we put that one out there on a post last night? Can you take anything out of the weekend with the weather being so bad in Penrith? Can you pass it off as cobwebs, or do you see some worrying signs? Worrying signs, but it's early. Most impressed for me, uh, again, without sounding biased, Melbourne impressed me round one. I didn't expect them to be that slick. Uh, I thought the forward pack was great, and I think they were a lot more effective with the ball, taking shots early, not just playing you know, construct, uh, solid one-out football and overstructured. I thought they took a lot more shots. I, I thought I saw what I wanted to see from Melbourne, Roosters, South, Broncos, like I, I sort of, the, the you know, the top four, I guess, um, that we're looking at. Penrith, for me, a little bit concerning. Uh, but the two that I probably highlight that really surprised me, the Warriors were one and the uh, the Cowboys were the other. They yeah. they played probably above where I thought they would be. Warriors surprised Canberra me. Canberra as well. I'll throw Canberra into that. Yeah, Warriors surprised me. But at the end of the day, when I looked at, again, the back five, that team, there's still quality players in that side. It's just can they be consistent for and the even, whole year. And even Parrell, like it's, that's a big win for them to come out here in round one and knock the Panthers off. Yeah. Mike and Sav show, I know Blake Green plays to his strengths by kicking, but does he premeditate his kicks way too much? Uh, well, on the weekend he did, but yeah. I think because they knew well, that they had a size advantage on the Dogs' wingers. Look at the targets. It's a tactic. And with the roll-on as well. They were always going forward. Dogs were retreating. They isolated the wingers. And why not kick to Fushi Tour and Marmola? They're both almost two metres tall. Yeah. And in particular, kicking a Crichton's edge. Crichton's a target, and they got him a couple of times, I think. Exactly. They got Remus just by being up off a quick play level and kicked him behind. He's a taller target, but... Most things are premeditated for halves as far as their kicking game. They're trying to think a play ahead. They're trying to be a bit more premeditated, and you want to be most of the time with your kicks. You don't want kicks to really be ad libber off the cuff. Unlike football when you're playing up, say off a quick ruck or broken numbers, that's ad lib. Kicking generally isn't ad lib. You want to have a plan about what you're getting to and what you want to do with your kick. So I don't have a problem with it. Cam Finlayson says, tackling in the air. I did say a little bit in round one. A few I thought I'd... Didn't have a big issue with because it was more attacking contest for the football, but there was a couple I thought they got away with. Um, I have a bigger issue, not with tackling there, but more people hitting halves late. And there was two on the weekend that could have resulted yeah. in major injuries to two very important players in the competition. So I had a bigger issue with that. And I think Matt Lodge getting the two weeks, I don't have a problem with. I was surprised Adam Fanua Blake only got away with one week. I thought he would have got two as well. 
But if you want to talk about something that bothered me out of the round this weekend, it was those two tackles. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Rob Carter says, all the experts come out praising the refs putting their whistle away in round one, but how long... <laughs> Here we go. How said long, this yeah, someone's going to do it. How long do you think it'll take for the refs to start exploiting this again like they inevitably always seem to do? The game goes in these cycles where they stop blowing penalties and then the niggling crap starts to come back in, so they blow penalties again. How long do they get out of this cycle? I, I hope it's not a cycle. I think the philosophy of the referees is changing because Graham Annesley is going to peel it back from trying to referee what they see, not referee to a criteria or referee to a certain amount of penalties mm. or referee to a crackdown. Like we're always, yeah. oh, we're cracking down on this and we're cracking down on that. Every time you crack down on something, something else goes amiss. It's the bubble in the carpet theory. Yeah. You put your foot on the bubble in the carpet, oh, it, it pops, pops up, up somewhere else. Well, the main thing is he said the KPIs are gone. They've been told yeah, referee to what you think is happening in the game. No two games are the same. So well, I'll tell you what, they still exist at junior rep level. In the New South oh. Wales Rugby League, because some of the stuff that I'm hearing, um, we, we have ref mics. We have, you should well, explain for. I have someone in the coach's box when we're at Campbelltown. I have someone, a referee's, I guess, what do you call them, coach that's coach. there, they that the mics and talks to these referees in their ear. Like I, I don't understand it. They're saying that they're trying to allow these referees to develop, but they're just they're trying not. to. They're poisoning them. Yeah, it's no good. They look for penalties. They look for things in games. They get put under pressure when they don't give them. Um, yeah, I hate it. When we when we watch our replays, there's ref microphone. You can hear him talking to his touch judges, and every so often you hear him ask a question. And he's not talking to the touches. He's talking to that referee. That's right. Coach, like you're talking about. What do you think about my rucks? What do you think about this? And you hear more penalties. Well, the game's not about you. The game is yeah. about flow. The game is about the players. You should try to be invisible. Casper the ghost. Rob. I love your I love your thought, but I hope you're wrong. I really hope you're wrong, and that we don't see this. Oh, I cycle. get what he's saying. Yeah, I get it too. But, but I honestly think Graham Annesley is going to be a good yeah. referee, referee's boss, and they needed someone to sit above um, Bernard Sutton 100%. and kick him up the ass because last year he went rogue, and and even the Matt Chechen, like Come Chechen's back. back now. Wonder why he's back because yeah. I know that he knows that Annesley's going to give him a fair crack. Things have been sorted. Uh, Michael Painter, we've already covered your one champion. Jack Clark, how the Titans ruined everyone's weekend. Well, sure, you're not I, wrong. I don't think they ruined anyone's weekend more than Brock, who thought they were absolute morals. And I did a stack on the Titans. On they the just absolutely came out and basically shit on Brock's doormat on his front doorstep. Yeah, that's what they did. The fat sportsman, the golfing quality between the Storm, Brisbane, and Rooster South games, and then the rest of the competition. Oh, again, round one. Anyone can hear some baby screams of that there. Lila's going off. She's, she's sick of the podcast. She ain't screaming. She's ready That's, for dinner. She's playing. Oh, as long as she's having a good time. Yeah, I'm, I'm having a good time. Oh, I thought the Storm Brisbane game was of a high quality and speed, like we said, but a couple of weather affected that Roosters game and a few of the others. Um, and again, just quality of oppositions, players missing already, a couple of guys of off-season dramas who are not playing for their teams. It's, it's inevitable. There's better teams in the comp at the top end and there's some lower teams that aren't going to be as good, unfortunately, but yeah. I enjoyed the round. Kevin McCormick, what's the latest potential competition expansion? And in your opinion, would the leading contenders be another Queensland side or the Perth Pirates? Well, both. I say what I say all the time the last couple of years. To me, we can't expand until we can hold on to our depth. And there's still too many young players that are former junior kangaroos and high-quality players that leave top 30s and squads over here to go to England at age 21, 22. Yeah. Until we find more money for the bottom end rather than continue to fill up the top end. And the effect that has on, say, look at a team like Manly, where you've got Cherry Evans on $1.2 million and they've got no bottom end of their side. Mm. Or a Melbourne model where they do pay heavy at the top, but they get the best out of the rest of their side just from coaching, I guess. But uh, I think until the minimum wage gets higher, 
and we have a better standard there. And obviously, assets within the game. I think expansion is not only a matter of depth, but it's a matter of the NRL being like the AFL, who have assets and depth and can take a hit with sponsorship and money because they've got things to lean on. We apparently had a war chest and all this money in these TV deals a couple of years ago. What have we got to show for it? Bugger all. We've got nothing. And if all these idiotic acts that have happened by the players uh, end up having an effect on sponsorship, which they already have, the salary cap's not going to be the same in a couple of years' time either. They wanted to be partners in the game. What they're doing, in effect, is hurting their own back pocket because if they affect the overall margin and profit in sponsorship and TV dollar, there's less money for the players and there's less chance for expansion and less chance for more clubs. Mm. As far as where a club would be, though, I think there has to be a second side in Brisbane and the WA one, uh, that's been there forever. I think if... uh, Twiggy was his name, the guy that was involved over there in WA who was filthy at Rugby Union. Someone like him who's got stacks of cash is willing to get behind it and support it and be privately funded. I think it could work. Mm. But getting players to want to move over there, much like getting players to move to Melbourne, New Zealand or other places, etc., would obviously be a problem. So I think Brisbane would be the most logical next. But yeah. Denny Ward, the mental toll of a round one injury such as Browns on the Eels, well... I think for any team, round one, it's so early in the year, there's plenty of time for changes. Most teams have only got one or two injuries. I think the bigger uh, toll it'll take is on someone like Nathan Brown because you do all that work in the preseason and bust your ass to get on the field and you get hurt uh, you know, 30 minutes in your season. But he's a resilient character. I think he'll bounce back and he should be right. And the last one we've got here, Brock, Jeff Gummerton, coaches in the press conference saying we need ourselves personally. I think it's a smokescreen. Uh, drop ball, silly penalties are often the result of opposition playing well and putting them off their game. I wish coaches could just acknowledge they were beaten by a better team on the day. Mm. So I yeah, think fair, fair comment. One of those points, again, we always have coaches saying, I think it was us, not them, not really passing off that credit. And um, Yeah, I think, again, a lot of time it's just deflecting away they, from they, players yeah, and but not also trying to single they, people out. And, they don't want to be seen to not have the answers. Yeah, and they also don't want to ostracise or call out players, I guess, so... Yeah, publicly and open. A lot of that stuff, as you know, being a coach, you save for behind closed doors. You don't just come out in the media and start blasting people and saying no. he was shit and he was terrible and yeah. rah, rah, rah and all the rest of it. And Sorry, we do have one more. Which team do you think will go on the longest win streak to start the season and the longest to not win? And that was from Cameron Irving. Yeah, hard one. Or longest winning streak. I don't, I don't know what South Straw looks like to start with or Melbourne's, but I think one of those two would be the one likely to pull off a streak to start the season. Mm. Losing streak? Well, look at the Bulldogs, the way they kicked off. Yep. I think if anyone's going to start a losing streak, that would be your obvious candidate. But Hopefully, they're safe. They can turn things around. But there you go. There's your fan questions. Jumping into tips, gossip, um, and anything we've kind of got on that side of things. Brock and preview on the round for this weekend and our thoughts on all the teams and any bits of changes. That is brought to you by the Pro Sports Syndicate and uh, obviously their best bet on the weekend. They were heavy with you, Brock. They are on the Titans yep. just to win, I think, with the start, which was evens before the game. And unfortunately, the Titans, like we said, laid a big deuce. So not that great as far as the best bets to start. But they had a strong start with their betting package. They had seven from 11, so a couple there, not quite over halfway, but with the margins they had and the bets being on half time, highest scoring half, they came out ahead with a small collect to start for the season. But for your own sake and listeners of the show, the package is available still with that $100 discount, so 700 for the season. And the biggest thing for your investment is if you don't get a profit percentage on the season, you get 2020 for free box head. So follow those tips like anyone in the tipping. I don't know about anyone else out there, but week one is just ridiculous. Yeah, Keefe only got two, you got three, and I got four. So we didn't have a great start to the year. 
Nobody and did. I'm pretty sure most people didn't have a great start of the year on tips, but like punters, it usually takes a few weeks to warm into things. But back the Pro Sports Syndicate, take that $100 discount. It's a cracking off there. Look out for those promos. We had Neds for a $300 bet bonus on the weekend. If you registered, that's a pretty handy one. If you like to get some money in your kitty for the week, 300 for 300 I don't mind that one. I might take that one up myself because I still don't have a Neds account. But uh, yeah, keep your eyes out for that package and the discount. But with Mr. Gossip and what he's got there, not that much this week, Boxhead, but Sonny Bill apparently to the Bulldogs. There's been some rumors and some stuff flying around and potentially he seems to think there's some legitimacy to it and it could potentially happen. My question would be to this, this would just seem to me to be money-driven or reuniting in a one-year-off kind of thing to try and heal the wounds there. But I don't know why a businessman of his ilk who loves winning would put himself in a situation like the Bulldogs. So I see contrasting sides. Big cash. At age 34 or 35 or whatever he is right now to finish off, mend fences and try and be apologetic and get a big payday and maybe put bums on seats. I can get it. But coming from a potential World Cup win this year with New Zealand, if he plays in that squad, playing in Super Rugby and rather going somewhere like the Roosters that was mentioned and finishing off with a winning side. Um, I can see some ties to it, but at the same time, I have my doubts about that happening. But I'm sure Bulldogs fans wouldn't complain given Let's the see. situation they're in Let's right see now. What happens. The other one he's got here, and there's only three for the night. Robson, Reese Robson, as I mentioned last week, junior kangaroo hooker, New South Wales 20s hooker, played in the resident side last year. Strong money again for the Bulldogs. They are heavily targeting him. So there was talk about the Cowboys and a couple other clubs having a dip there. The Bulldogs desperate to get another hooker on their books. Looked at Jacob Little. He's got some shoulder issues, but Reese Robson, heavy talks with the Bulldogs, according to Mr. Gossip. And the last one is just confirming a bit of news we had last week. George Williams, Mr. Gossip says, is all but done to the Canberra Raiders for the following season. Three-year deal. Transfer fee will be sorted out that George Williams from Wigan will be joining the Canberra Raiders next year. There you go. And Brad Arthur. Sorry, one last one here. Parramatta Eels to hold on talks. No surprise there, given the last couple of years. They're going to make a decision maybe mid-year, depending on the results, whether he will be at the front of Parramatta into the future. Mm-hmm. No surprises there, I don't think, Brock. No. Tips, though. Brought to you by the Pro Sports Syndicate and all the odds there. Look at that package. Look at the best bets. Look out for the promos. Last week, a uh, rough start. Mr. Gossip, he only tipped two. Yourself, you tipped three and I tipped four. So I broke even, but it was an ugly week as always seems to be the case for round one. But this week, we'll see if we can do a little bit better. Our best bets, uh, I was one from two. I think I got the Storm one to 12. I had the Sharks one to 12, and obviously that intercept try ruined that. Yourself, you were none from two, but you were very, very close with the Tigers. I think that kick it goal at the end from the sideline. Yeah. Difficult one, but it cost you. So two points off getting that one, and the Titans 13 plus obviously went down in flames. So. Yeah. Not a great start, but we'll see if we can pick a couple of winners this week for the punters out there. Hopefully a few people got on the storm so we at least got some cash in their back pocket, but we'll see how we go. Lineups in games, Brock. The first one we've got here, the Dragons. Doesn't get any easier for them this Friday. Oh, sorry, this Thursday night. They kick off against Souths, who are red hot. Last week, as far as changes to their lineup, Blake Laurie replaces the injured Tyson Frizzell at lock, and Josh Kerr comes in to make his debut on the bench there, the big front rower. On the side of things for the Rabbitohs, Kyle Turner comes onto the bench to replace Corey Allen, who you can only suspect was on the bench last week to cover for GI in case he got an injury. So, yeah, strange one. Realistically, unchanged, but an extra middle on the side of things for the Dragons. Uh, that's a big loss. Jeremy Lattimore mustn't have a big, as big an issue as first thought with that knee injury because he's been included on the bench. But uh, honestly, Brock, after what I saw last week, it is at their home ground to kick things off, but I still think 
the spine has its issues. The forward pack missing Frizzell is huge. Vaughn still there. Tarek Sims is still there, a couple of these guys, but I think uh, the forward pack and that spine for South is still too good for the Dragons at this stage. Yeah, I'd agree. South. Mr. Gossip, he is gone for the upset, I'd assume, as far as the odds are concerned. He is backing the Dragons. Uh, rolling the dice early is old Gossip, the odds for that one. With the Pro Sports Syndicate, $1.57 for South, two forty for the Dragons. The line in that is minus four. One to twelve, two eighty five South, three fifty Dragons, thirteen plus three fifteen for Souths, and thirteen plus is six twenty five for the Dragons. The second one to have in this round to kick off Friday night football is the Raiders down at home, six PM against the Melbourne Storm. As far as their lineup goes this week, Jordan Rapana named to make a shock early return from Jesus. injury. So Man, that's changed quickly. One stage they said week 14, then they said week 10 and maybe week 8, but week 2. That is a huge recovery from a massive injury and off-season surgery if he's back in the lineup that quick. and I don't know why you'd rush him if he's good to go because I thought Simonson did a good job last week and had a solid win. That's a a huge course. They must be very, very confident in that regard. And they're going hard early, the Raiders. That's right. Storm side of things. Patrick Kafusi comes in to replace Tom Eisenhuth, who has that fractured larynx. Uh, Our thoughts go out to him. Rough trot. Debuting seven years ago. I played some footy with his brother, local Alan Eisenhuth, good bloke, and you coached Tommy. I did, yeah. Out at Penrith, so our best wishes with him. It's an indefinite injury. It's a real, real dangerous one. So quick recovery to Tom and uh, hopefully gets another couple of cracks down there at the Storm. But that's the only change for each team. Uh, huge inclusion for the Raiders side of things. But, yeah, Melbourne unchanged, but Kafusi on the bench. In this one, it's just more of a suck it and see it for me. The Raiders were good last week, but wet conditions against the Titans, different test against Melbourne at home. I'll stick with Melbourne, but I look forward to seeing the Raiders play quality yeah, opposition. Melbourne. Mr. Gossip, he completely agrees with us here. He's on the Storm and the odds of the Pro Sports Syndicate. Again, $1.57 Storm, Raiders 240, minus four the line. 1 to 12, 285 Storm, 350 Raiders, 13 plus 315 Storm, 625 for the Raiders. Uh, Broncos, Cowboys, that clash, that blockbuster, as it always seems to be, Friday night, 8 p.m., Suncorp Stadium. Changes for the Broncos. Matt Lodge being suspended has Pungai Jr. pushing in to play prop while David Fafita starts in the second row with Jaden Sewer going back to the bench and Sean Fensom is the only new player to come in. For the Cowboys, unchanged uh, from the lineup they had last week, except Maguire still named on the bench and Cooper named in the starting side. You'd assume that may change again. Belter of a game this one. Kick off, but Broncos. Cracker. Uh, you're on the Broncos, are you? Yeah. I bounce back at home. Home. I liked what I saw last week, and I do want to tip them being at home, but I'm going to stick with the Cowboys in that forward pack. But again, I think it's a contrast in styles this week. We saw Melbourne, a bigger pack, play the smaller, more dynamic pack in the Broncos and get over the top early and obviously capitalise and hold on. I think the same deal happens again here. Last year, we saw this same game after a disappointing round one, and that much smaller forward pack opened up the Cowboys, fatigued them, ran them right, and the Cowboys you know, almost won on the final play of the game, but they got over the top of them. So yeah. um, I think this is going to be a cracker game. I think the advantage I give is in the halves for now. Michael Morgan was great last week. Have to see a bit of improvement for Nick Arima and Milford for mine this week. So go the Cowboys, but this should be an absolute bell ringer. Mr. Gossip, he agrees with you. He's on the Broncos and the odds with the Pro Sports Syndicate. The Broncos, favourites, $1.57, 240 for the Cowboys, minus four again, the line identical for the first Three games of the round. The 1 to 12 market, Broncos 285, 350 for the Cowboys, 13 plus Broncos 315, 625 uh, for the Cowboys. Sharks, Titans. 
Uh, this one, as far as the Sharks are concerned, is with no changes. They've got a couple of guys on the extended bench in Sorensen, Flanagan, Sherry, and Brandon Ueli. I doubt we'll see any real changes there for them, so probably 1-17. to Titan side of things, Roberts and Ash Taylor obviously both ruled out. So a new halves pairing, Riley Jacks joins AJ Brimson in the halves. So at least there's one thing you know of Riley Jacks. You'll get a solid kicking game and a good defender. Um, how that works out, though, with those two maybe not spending as much time together in the preseason, I don't know. There's a bit of pressure. I think the biggest thing for me would be just the way they defended last week and their overall attitude as a forward pack. I was really bothered by that. And you know the Sharks are just going to grind and make it ugly. Yeah. The other change they have here, the Don. He's back after one week. Philip Semi, after a poor effort last week, has dropped to the bench. So I find it weird to carry a winger on the bench and start another winger. Yeah, great. So don't know about that one, Garth Brennan. But for me, the Sharks at home, at the prison as we aptly call it, I don't think they'll lose two weeks in a row. No, Sharks. Mr. Gossip agrees with the Pro Sports Syndicate. $1.38 for the Sharks, two ninety five for the Titans. Minus 7.5 is the line. 1 to 12 Sharks, two ninety four fifty for the Titans. 13 plus two fifty for the Sharks. $7 for the Titans. Newcastle versus the Panthers up there in the Hunter. It's a hard place to go these days. And the Knights fans are obviously very excited. Herman Essiesi, who I'm surprised to see left out of the side, replaces Daniel Safedi. So it's good to see that the Knights finally have some depth there, Boxhead. On the Panthers' side of things, Sione Katawa returns from his concussion to start at hooker with Wade Egan moving to the bench. And Jerome Luai is out of the 17. He's named in the reserves, but he went off with an injury on the weekend. I'm not quite sure what or if there's anything really behind that, but that'll be interesting to see. And Frank Winnerstein, who just moved over from Manly, he replaces Tyrell Fuimano on the bench. And Regan Cam McGillard is named to start with Moses Laota dropping back to the bench. Brock, what do you reckon? Oh, I'm going to go the Knights. I'm just going to go with my eyes at the moment. Yeah, well, you got a clean sweep, mate. Uh, our thoughts and prayers again with Papa Gossip and uh, Mr. Gossip there. Good win for the Knights last week to hopefully boost his spirits. He's, uh, like we said, been struggling a bit lately, and our thoughts there with Mr. Gossip and his family and all the best to Papa Gossip. Uh, we're all in on the Knights this week. Yeah. And uh, again, with you, I think what I saw, the home factor and what Penrith dished up last week, they're going to have to completely change things this week, attitude-wise, effort-wise, to overcome a tough Newcastle side up there. So with the Pro Sports Syndicate, the favourites are the Knights, $1.73. Penrith, 205 The line, minus 2. 1-12, to 12, Newcastle, 283.20 for the Panthers. 13-plus, Newcastle, 3.70. for the Panthers. Who we got here? Manly against the Roosters. Now, this, uh, depending on weather and attitude, could be very, very ugly for mine. Adam Fanua Blake suspended. And Trent Hodginson, he drops out of the 17. Tolfoa Sipley comes all the way into start at front row. And Corey Waddell joins Manisi Fanu on the bench. So a couple of changes there after only one week. So Corey Waddell brought in our all debut finally and yeah, well-deserved. Out, outstanding. He's a great young kid. Played us and juniors out here. Amy Plains, his father obviously played for the club there and coached you at a younger age in uh, the Penrith competition. But he uh, just, you know, depth in the back row there at Penrith held him out. Now he's got an opportunity at Manly, so... Good on him there. They're stuck with the same halves pairing. Uh, obviously, that change in the forward pack being simply going straight into start. So, a bit of a lighter weight bench there for them. Bit of a different outlook. But for the Roosters, no surprise. There is no changes. And Angus Crichton is named on the bench again. So, whether he starts or that changes, I don't know. But for me, the Roosters won't pay. play two bad games in a row. And even if they do, I think much like last year, they'll find a way to win regardless. And the way Manly played last week, uh, I'd be a little bit worried. Yep, agree. So, Roosters. Clean sweep for all of us again, Mr. Gossip. Also, on the Roosters and the odds of the Pro Sports Syndicate, $1.33 for the Roosters, 
320 for Manly, minus eight and a half the line. One to twelve roosters, three dollars, four seventy-five manly, thirteen plus roosters, two twenty-five, eight dollars manly. Dogs, para, uh, changes in this one. The Bulldogs unchanged. A lot of fans still very, very angry that Reese Martin isn't playing and not even named in the twenty-one players. So uh, some outrage there, but Dean Pay is the coach. That's his decision at the end of the day. There's gotta be there's gotta be a reason. So like I said, it's gotta be defense, has it gotta be something that they're not seeing behind closed be, doors. He might be carrying injuries. Is he it training might not ethic? Well, that's you, you, right. you don't know. So a lot of people blow up, but uh, with because the eye, they want him in their super coach team. That's right. With the eye test again after a couple of weeks, I'm sure if they're not playing well and he does keep playing well in cup, he will get his opportunity again. Yeah. Uh, on the Parramatta side of things, Michael Jennings is suspended. So he played cup on the weekend, did he? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's not obviously not an injury concern. It's something no. else. Michael Jennings suspended, so he is out. Nathan Brown's pec injury, he is out, and Will Smith broken arm. They're out. So heavy changes. After one week for Parramatta, Josh Hoffman starts at Sanai. Junior Paulo returns to help with the forward stocks there after his hamstring issue at prop, moving Tepai Morale to lock to cover for the move there. And Jamin Semin comes onto the bench as the utility player. Um, and George Jennings could be a late inclusion after being named in the reserve. So realistically, you strengthen up your front row by moving Tepai Morale out of there, who did a solid job last week. He moves back to a more natural position of 13 to put that work in that Brownwood and Will Smith is replaced by Jamin Semmer. I'm not overly bothered by those changes, to be honest. Brown is a big loss, but I think they've got the cover there. After what I saw last week, again, it's just the eye test. I'll stick with Parra. Yeah, I'm going to tip Parra, but this is a game that Parra... Need cough, to win. But they cough it up. They cough this game up Well, this, this is where we'll see the difference, won't we? This yeah, year. we will. Do they have the grit? Do they have the intent? And will they go on with it mm. after week one? They had a good win, but this is a team... Uh, desperate after last week. So hopefully they come into this one with the same intent that against the Panthers. Absolutely. Mr. Gossip also on the Eels and they're a dollar seventy favourites with the Pro Sports Syndicate. Two ten for the dogs, minus two and a half the line. One to twelve dogs, two eighty, three thirty-five uh sorry for the dogs and two eighty for para at one to twelve. Thirteen plus three forty for the Eels, six dollars for the dogs. Last game of the round out there at Campbelltown Stadium. Hopefully the Tigers fans get behind them and get to the game. It is the Tigers versus the Warriors off a dominant week one display. The Tigers, no change to the 17, although Moses Mbai and Josh Reynolds are both in the reserves. I doubt the Reynolds move will be made this week as far as uh, having him on the bench. But mind you, Michael Cheekham only got four or five minutes last week. So if he does make a change for a utility on the bench, that may be the player that drops out. Moses Mbai, I thought Corey Thompson did a great job last week. Momorowski in the centre is more than sufficient. Mahi on the wing was good. So they do have a little... Couple options there. The Warriors side of things, Isaiah Papali'i returns on the bench after his one week out in place of Blake Ashford, while Isaac Luke could res- return after being named in the reserves. Mm. Well, Warriors. They're, they're traveling across, um, but yeah, after what I saw week one, it's going to be a gritty game, but I think... Again, that, this is a game that they cough up as well, so... Yeah. yeah. Well, Mr. Gossip agrees we're all on the Warriors. We'll have to wait and see here. It's only week two, but... With the Pro Sports Syndicate, the Tigers are the favourites at home, a dollar eighty-two. The Warriors are dollar ninety-five. The line minus one and a half, one to twelve for the Tigers, two eighty-three fifteen for the Warriors, thirteen plus for the Tigers, four dollars five twenty-five for the Warriors. So, looking at the tips here, there's only a couple of different this week. It's pretty blanket, but Gossip has the Dragons. We've got Souths, and I'm the only one who's tipped the Cowboys. Other than that, we're identical. So, not a lot of wiggle room here, Boxhead. Not at the moment. Uh, but overall, that's another week of the show wrapped up. I think the only thing we need to figure out here, mate, is best bets. Is there anything uh, after what we've just been through that you like? Mm, that is a good question. Let's have a little squizzy. Well, I like... Um, where's that game at on Friday? 
Which one? Ah, oh, sorry, Thursday night. Dragons? Yeah. Souths? I'm going to throw one in there and I'm going to repeat myself from last week. I like the Storm 1-12 to down at Canberra. I think it's a tough place to go play. Uh, but again, from what I've seen, I think Melbourne might be able to go down there, do enough to win. I'll go um, Broncos 1-12. to So Broncos... That's always a close game, that one. And I think the Broncos will want to win in their first home game of the year. Scroll down, my friend. Uh, Roosters thirteen plus. That's a, that's got to be a lock. Getting getting heavy on the Roosters after one week. Yeah, well, I, I just think they're going to have incentive to play well this week. They wouldn't have liked losing round one, so well, that'll be my two. I'm going to go the reverse of what I did last week. I went against the Newcastle Knights, but against the Panthers there at home, I think Newcastle also one to twelve. So they're my two bets for this week if I was going to put my heart in or anything. So if you follow me in, the Storm 1-12 to at 285 or Newcastle 1-12 to at home against the Panthers at 280. For Brock, he's got the Broncos 1-12 to at 285 and the Roosters 13-plus at 225. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to get back to my try scorers, as you know, I'm obsessed with. Have you got... You're keeping track of those? Yeah. So yeah. week one, I was one from two. You were 0 from two. But after a couple of weeks, hopefully we can get ourselves up into the 60 and no, 70% final mark. Not, but... I'll go down punching. Just keep swinging like we do every that's single right. week. All right? That's what we need to do. That's right. Just keep throwing them for the fiends. That's right. But there you go. Huge. Did you see Buzz last night, mate? Actually, we forgot about this, mate. We got a couple more inboxes about fans saying that when we talk about the Sharks, mate, that we should talk in the Buzz voice and the Buzz yeah. voice only. Brock, I thought the Sharks were absolutely diabolical, mate. They just refused to hold the ball. They lacked intent inside the 20, and I thought Sean Johnson just... He just wasn't quite there, mate. He laid an egg, mate. But there you go. Bit of buzz. He was sweating up a storm last night on 360. <sighs> doesn't he? He he hurts under those lights, old buzz, doesn't he? He loves it. We do like buzz, though. He, he was good fun when he came He was good. We'll get him back on this year. Good fun. But uh, we'll try and get a few more guests on. I spoke to Vaughny. He's keen to have a chat in a couple of weeks. So of course we, he is. We might let the Dragons uh, season unfold a little bit further before we get him on. And, and then we'll grill him. We might have to give him a bit of a, <laughs> bit of a drama talk. But uh, as always... Looking forward to week two of Rugby League. What will the dish up? But from us, in depth, as always, for another week, our set of six, answered all your questions, our tips, our game reviews, our game previews, our best bets, gossip, every single thing you'd want from NRL and Rugby League content delivered by the fifth and last NRL podcast. Review us on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Get onto our pages. Interact with us. Send us questions. We're always happy to answer them. And most of all, thank you very much for supporting our show. Big thanks again to our two sponsors, Penrith Solar Centre and the Pro Sports Syndicate. Penrith Solar Centre, bills are not going down. 60% rise since the government changed and things have gone private. Trust me, save yourself, save your back pocket, www.penrithsolar.com.au. Get on to Jake and the crew there or call them on 1800 20 29 30. And the Pro Sports Syndicate, the season package offer for a $100 discount, $700 for the year. If the bets on the year do not return a profit, you get next year, 2020, for free, 450 total bets plus for the season and look out for their sign-up promos and best bets of the week. Last week, Ned sign up, $300 in, $300 in bonus bets. You beauty. But for now, enjoy your week and enjoy your rugby league. Bring it on. Give us more. Give us more. Where are you going? Where, what, 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 what's going on here? Is that it? Is that it?
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.